that time, Vegas was a place where millions of suckers flew in every year on their own nickel and left behind about a billion dollars. But at night, you couldn't see the desert that surrounds Las Vegas. But it's in the desert where lots of the town's problems are solved. And a lot of holes in the desert, and a lot of problems are buried in those holes. Except you got to do it right. I mean, you got to have the hole already dug before you show up with a package in the trunk. Otherwise, you're talking about a half hour or 45 minutes to dig it. And who knows who's going to be coming along in that time. Before you know it, you got to dig a few more holes. You could be there all f***ing night. Uncle Job? George Michael. You weren't followed, were you? No, I don't think so. All right, kid. Let's steal some drugs. What are you doing? Flashing the lights. So the dealer knows what's going down. How long? Who knows? An hour. Maybe five. Drug delivery. You wanted some marijuana? No, uh, not me. My nephew did. Show me the money. Show us the pot. I got it right here. Oh, my God. Nice, right? Okay, you can put your shirt down there. Just give him the stuff. So... We have a deal. We have a deal. He's ruining his life. Please stop. Freeze. Freeze. What? Oh, no. It's the cops. No. And a construction worker. Let's get this party started. Aren't you guys going to cuff him? You want a haircut? All right. George Michael. Hope you learned your lesson, pal. The thing about that intro we just played is that was a previously existing opening speech that I put together, I think, a few months back. But now, listening to it, I have no idea why I assembled it that way. Like, what was... I'm looking at it right I was now. I trying to find the pattern. And it's labeled Casino and Arrested Development Hot Cops. I'm sorry, i got to adjust my microphone. Somebody's been... It's like a somebody's been sleeping in my bed kind of a thing. Somebody, and by somebody, I mean Timmy Ryan. This microphone that I speak through is held together. I mean, it's held together by a lot of things, but there's basically there's these three separate little tightening screws on here. One that adjusts the way the microphone turns horizontally, uh, horizontally, horizontally, sort of a uh, horizontally, sort of left to right, and then these two bolts that sort of keep it, you know, they keep it uh, fixed up and down. And every Monday I come in here, and it's like somebody has just gone after this thing with a glue gun. All right, hold on. All right, wait. All right, there we go. All right. Um, anyway, so that opening segment right there, I was uh, looking through this morning trying to figure out what to play. Uh, do I put together something new? Do I play something that we've already played in the past? Do I, uh, you know, do I, do I kind of search through the archives? And then I found that one, and it's Robert De Niro from Casino, back-to-back with the Hot Cops episode of Arrested Development. And it was already, uh, and I'm looking at it now, and I made it about nine weeks ago. And I don't really know why I did that. I don't know what we would have been doing, what sort of theme we would have had, what the vibe of the show would have been that I ever thought the casino needed to be put back-to-back with hot cops. 
Yeah, I have no explanation for that. All right, well, whatever. In any event, why, hello, it is uh, 5 minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and this the month of October. In the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. Jeff Merkley's a bastard. Um, and so forth. Uh, if you'd like to join us today, it is 503-733-2970 with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, two cents, what have ye? It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, if you want to get on board, Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, uh, the mundane, or whatever you might have. Friends, neighbors, ladies, gentlemen, Romans, countrymen, boys, girls, children of all ages. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, you can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. All right. Uh, coming up today, nothing to do with uh, the hot cops, nothing to do with casino, to the best of my knowledge. See, that's the thing I'm going to sit and I'm going to chew on it for the rest of the day, trying to figure out why I would have put those two things together. Yeah, I can't. I cannot think of any situation where that correlation would work. I mean, look here. It just says, opening speech, casino, dash, hot cops. Is that what we were giving away the trip to Vegas? Is that what we were doing the spam-a-lot thing? But then why would we have been playing the hot cops thing as part of that? See, sometimes that just makes sense. Uh, like There was one earlier uh, where it was... And it was like uh, it was Jaws and Eric Idle together, but I know that was for the spam a lot thing. Mm. And then there was one that was Battlestar Galactica and Anchorman put together, but that's because we were talking about the Midnight Movie, where Cord and Fatboy were going to be showing Anchorman, but then they were going to be showing the Battlestar Galactica season four premiere. Casino and Hot Cops. That's like one of those mystery top fives that we just shouldn't go over for like 30 minutes because nobody can figure out what the theme was. I'm going to move on now. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. We'd like to join us today. Uh, let's see. We will be giving away uh, each day this week. We're going to be giving away a pair of, I think you see, Henry Rollins, by the way. Uh, so we'll have a pair of those later on today. Henry Rollins is going to be doing his spoken word live uh, next week here in uh, beautiful Portland, Oregon. Coming up today, CNN Radio correspondent Dick Uliano will join us from the Hill. We'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum as well. And Jim Roop will join us from Los Angeles to talk about our good friend O.J. Simpson. Uh, we have a top five coming up today. I was thinking we were going to wrap up the top five teenage moping songs today with Richie Bristol. He will be doing his top five teenage angst-ridden love Lauren songs today. Richie will be doing that. But just as I tried to bring down the curtain, just when I was out, they pulled me back in. Because what to my wondering eyes should appear this morning but an email from K2's Carl Click, who was demanded to come in and do his own teenage... And I, first of all, I can't picture Carl Click really moping about anything. But, let me back up. First of all, I can't picture Carl Click as a teenager, ever, at all, under any circumstances, in any way. And I'm not trying to. I'm not going to try to chisel Carl Click's age out of him. If he wants to volunteer that information, that's up to him. But I can't really picture Carl Click as an adolescent. You just sort of picture, not unlike with Tim Riley when he did his list. When you try to picture Carl Click as an adolescent, you just kind of picture him as sort of a miniaturized version of himself now. So it's just sort of a, yeah, you know, like a Carl Click as he previ, you know, as he currently exists with perfect hair, but just sort of, you know, like one third size or something. So I do believe on Wednesday, Carl Click will be in the studio to do his top five uh, teenage angst moping list. 
Um, if you go to uh, myspace.com slash Rick Emerson, by the way, we're going to be having uh, listeners post their top five. We uh, will then pick one lucky listener to come and do their top five in the studio. So go to uh, uh, myspace.com slash Rick Emerson. Go to the post, the blog about uh, your uh, musical moping selections. Post your top five. And then later on this week, one lucky listener will be selected to come and deliver that top five right here uh, on the program. So uh, Dick Uliano, Steve Castamount, James Roop. Top five from Richie Bristol today. Monkey Watch coming up today. High Concept Thursday became High Concept Friday, which now today will be High Concept uh, Monday. So all of that on the way. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification. And what a wide array of stories we have here. First, the Dow Jones Industrial Average plunges another 500 points as the world cowers in fright. Well, we now know, to the surprise of no one, departed Lehman Brothers executives trying to get $20 million in bonuses before they quit as the company was begging the government for bailouts. Oh, that's great. 60% now see a depression is likely. Uh, Barack Obama pals around with terrorists, says Sarah Palin. This after polls show Obama with a 52 or 44% lead over John McCain. And so uh, Barack Obama counters, Hey, John, remember when you were part of the Keating Five? Oh! Then John McCain apparently has a brother saying all kinds of wacky things. A lakeside man is charged with riding a tricycle under the influence. A driver is killed after hitting a car near Crater Lake. Angelina Jolie gets two new tattoos. A freshman is found dead in a pool of vomit at an Indiana frat house. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a tragic loss of life. I won't make fun of it. Uh, we're oh, joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stellan. Hello, how are you? Hey, I'm kind of curious to know what tattoos Angelina Jolie got. See? It's what's important that we talk about. Now, see, we're talking about what's, what's on the mind of the people uh, today. Oh, yesterday, yeah, I had I watched the most amazing movie. <laughs> I was... Um, I watched I Know Who Killed Me. Is that the Lindsay Lohan thing? It's like a um, like an amputee stripper porn, like, and she's all, like, cracked out of her mind. It is hilarious. The only word for that is hot. It's It really, you would love it. You would love it. And you can tell, like, you can see, you know, a lot of, like, crazy and drug addiction going on. Is she playing an amputee stripper? She's an amputee stripper. How do they do that? What is she so, missing? Wait, hold on. Don't tell me. Uh, missing, missing one arm. And... And a leg. Yes. I don't understand. It I was just sort of saying that because it sounded stupid. It would take a long time to disrobe, wouldn't it? How would you... It's the most ridiculous That's a movie I have ever Wait. seen. Wait, no, stop. There's too much happening. First of all, so you saw uh, I Know Who Killed Me with Lindsay Lohan. Yes. Okay, and so she's missing... Please know to describe. She's missing an arm and a leg? She's missing an arm and a leg. How would she even get undressed? Tim it's has a very whole, valid point here. The whole here. movie was so confusing. Like, So she's this girl... She's like this wholesome girl who takes piano lessons and is a straight-up student. A, I still don't even know if she was in high school or in college. I couldn't, like, you couldn't even figure out if she was in high school or college. Is this a comedy? No. No, it's supposed to be, like, a serious drama. Like, it starts, the opening scene is her, like, all being all sexy and strippy, and, you know, she's, so she plays a stripper. And it's when, like, it was pre-rehab, Lindsay Lohan, she's, like, coked out of her mind, you can tell. Allegedly. Allegedly. Just looks completely insane. So she gets kidnapped and tortured by this man, uh, by, you know, by a person, and, um, yeah, gets her arm amputated and her leg amputated, and she goes back and 
And she reunites well, with her parents, but she doesn't remember who she is. She keeps saying that she's somebody else's name, that she had a hard life, and that she was a hooker and a stripper. And I've already lost the thread of this movie. I mean, you, we, I don't even know. Like, I watched the movie, well, and I don't even know. Well, like five is. seconds of your description, I don't know what the hell we're talking about. Wait. I watched the end, and I'm just like, I don't Here's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to repeat what I believe the plot of this movie to be back to you, and you tell me if I've got it. Okay. Lindsay Lohan plays a college student... Maybe. Who is kidnapped and has her limbs cut off and is then released back into the wild as an amnesiac stripper. Am I anywhere in the ballpark? <laughs> How many of these elements are correct? It's pretty good. Like, I can't I can't tell you, you know, any more. I can't give you more details without divulging the secrets of... Oh, yeah, you don't want to spoil it. Don't... I don't... Don't, don't give away spoilerific. Don't give away the shocking twist ending, no, okay. Sarah. All right, you know what? If you, if you want to, it's the shocking it. twist ending that she really has her limbs and oh. she's just jamming them into her pants. I'm gonna ruin it for you now. If you wanted to be surprised with Lindsay Lohan, so she has a twin. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is she an amputee stripper, she's an amputee stripper twin. Does she have all her limbs? Yeah. Does the twin is the twin okay. missing? I'm sorry, if we're ruining uh, the Lindsay Lohan <laughs> film for everybody. See, that's the thing. The twist ending at the end is she hadn't because she didn't really realize. She didn't know how she lost her arm and her leg because it just kind of fell off. <laughs> it didn't just fall off. <laughs> it fell off. Was she a leper? Her fingers started falling off and she didn't know why. <laughs> so that she was... Did this happen while she was dancing? Or... Oh, my God. No, and there's a... Actually, right when she goes off the stage. And there's a cameo from Art Bell in that, too. There's this, It shows her watching, like, looking at something on the Internet, and it's Art Bell talking about how twins sometimes feel each other's pain. And so that's why her arm and her leg Wait, fell off. Wait, no, 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 back up. I know that we're only like 15 minutes into the program, and I'm, I have all the stuff I'm supposed to be doing where you're talking about the Mythbusters thing that happened yesterday. But I get it. She's dancing, and then her fingers start to fall off? <laughs> she takes off her glove after she finishes dancing, and there's, um, and all of a sudden you hear this thing thunk on the floor, and she <laughs> looks at her finger, <laughs> and her fingers, starts, her fingers start falling off. Oh, wait, I, I just tell you, it's like the greatest movie I've ever wait, seen. No, 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 but I, I still am unclear about so many things with this movie. First of all, are, are there sequences in this movie in which Lindsay Lohan, while missing a leg and an arm, still strips? No, they're, they're all flashbacks, so she does have all of her limbs when it's... Oh, so she's not ever stripping while, while missing a leg. No, but she has, like, a, a mechanical hand, like, <laughs> hand, and she has learned to walk again. It is like... And she has to charge her hand... In order for it to work so the batteries don't run out? Are you entirely sure this isn't a comedy? Because I have to tell you, of all the things you've described now, there's not one thing there's not one thing in this sort of condensed version of the film's plot that sounds remotely dramatic or serious. No, it was it was very dramatic. I don't it was so ridiculous. And she has like this pornographic sex scene. She has a robotic hand she has to charge, <laughs> she has to charge. because her fingers fell off. And <laughs> yeah. she has a secret twin. But she's feeling the residual pain of her secret twin, who um, the guy had kidnapped. <laughs> um, the guy had kidnapped her and buried her somewhere, and so she, she was feeling the pain because her twin also had her arm and her leg amputated. All right, it's beginning to make sense. I no, I'm, I'm going to pull out of this right now. We're in some sort of a weird. We're in some kind of terminal spin with this. So to, yeah, I watched with a bunch of friends, and like we all clapped at the end of that movie, and like that was. So in other words, it's the best movie ever made. And on top of it, it had a blooper reel, uh -huh. which is like. Was that just the whole film shown over again? No, it was just it was 
terrible. It was terrible. It wasn't. It was like awkward. Like everyone obviously hated each other when they were working on the set. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you possibly make a blooper reel out of a you know a girl amputated and raped and kidnapped and buried alive? I'm like, well, that sounds like blooper reel. That sounds like distilled <laughs> comedy. Was there was there was there some sort of a wacky outtake where the ra- the raping went all wrong or something? No, and it was it, it was really awkward to watch too because they're not laughing, you know, like in a typical blooper reel. Someone would like miss misspeak a line. And then it would just be the camera on them. <laughs> There's a long static shot of them blinking at each other, doing and then nothing. And go to the next scene, and that's it. I'm like, ooh, blooper-tastic. Fantastic. All right. So, so uh, yes, I did a lot of things this weekend, but the best thing I did was watch I Know Who Killed Me. Well, bottom line is right now. Is this a movie I need to be watching? You need to own this. I'm going to see the Game Exchange after the show today and buying it. Sounds like there may be a run on that movie. <laughs> All right, there you go. Sarah Dillon's review of I Know Who Killed Me, starring Lindsay Lohan as an amputee stripper who fing- whose fingers fall off and who has... <laughs> Try to keep it together. A robotic hand that needs to be charged. <laughs> she needs to charge her hand. That's wonderful. And I was with like four other people and all of us guessed who we thought the killer was and we were all wrong. It was like, it was one of those movies where they throw in somebody randomly at the beginning and it turns out to be them. Right. At and the end, nothing... it's a guy who walked by the screen that's, for half a second. That's exactly it. It had absolutely no purpose. I'm like, right. okay, and then... Some guy who was in an early sequence of the film parking his car across town. And then she unburies her twin amputee sister stripper friend and... Then they hug. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> in, in as much as you can hug if you've only got two arms between you. <laughs> That's fantastic. She, she wrapped her stub around it. <laughs> um, so it really the does. Part two is like you can't figure out if she's in high school or in college. It does sort of. It does she... sort of prompt the question: How do you dress or undress yourself if you've only got one leg and one hand? No, she has her her battery charged hand. But I mean. Is that you, do you stand up? Are you laying flat on the bed and trying to pull your jeans up? It's like the shoddiest like technology too, because you can just tell she's wearing a rubber glove that's supposed to be covering her metal hand. <laughs> but it's really just her hands. It's just her hands. Do they just do it so there's a lot of <laughs> sounds when they, she? There's so much metal. Like is there like transforming metal, metal noises when down? she when she picks up a drinking glass? Is like oh no, it's like, it's like. <laughs> Like every time when she's walking, she's moving her, you know, her shiny orange plastic. Well, there's just the guy in the foley room with like a hand-powered egg beater. (laughs) I I don't think I could have dreamed of a movie. I want to go home right now and watch this. I don't even want to wait till this afternoon. And there are also a lot of parts too where she's like reading. Like she's also a writer. Uh huh. Of course. She's a very talented writer. And she's up there sitting at the, top, at the front of the room, you know, wearing like a blue business suit, you know, with her jugs all pushed up and wearing like glasses. And she's deeply reading from her own story about, you know, parallel lives of two people. By the way, this email just says, you need to be testing Sarah for drugs right now. <laughs> this movie plot makes no sense at all. All right, there you go. No, right. no, nobody else with, nobody knew what was going on. We're, everyone was confused, and it was amazing. All right, that's on my to-do list, like, yes. right now. All right, fantastic. And I did lots of other things, but yeah. Well, that's really the thing that counts. It sounds like that was the money part of your weekend. <laughs> it was indeed. All right, uh, it's 503. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to my weekend in just a moment. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up today, Cena Radio Correspondent Dick Giuliano, Steve Castamon, Jim Roop uh, will join us today. Richie Bristol's Top 5. Again, don't forget to go to myspace.com slash Rick Emerson. And uh, there's a blog there called Of Music and Moping. Go there, post your own teenage top five angst-ridden depresso soundtrack songs, and we will be picking one listener to come into the studio and count those down later on in the week. I think Carl Click's going to come do his top five on Wednesday. Uh, so we're going to be giving away a pair of Henry Rollins tickets today, and in fact, one pair every week. Henry Rollins is going to be in town for his spoken word next week. We're going to talk to Henry Rollins on the show uh, tomorrow. 
So uh, it's all very exciting. We'll do High Concept Thursday today, actually, because we didn't get to it last Thursday or Friday. And we have a monkey watch coming up, uh, plus a whole lot more. So, all right. Um, I don't even know how to top that. I will just, I'll go through my weekend sort of in reverse chronological form. Yeah, how's the puppy? Um, well, the puppy's great. He's got, I'm not going to dwell a whole lot on the puppy because then you just like somebody talking about their baby or their, you know, whatever. Like, a, you need somebody talking about the, you know, like a painting they saw somewhere. You know, it's, it's one of those things like, hey, hearing somebody else talk about having a new dog is like hearing somebody else describe going through the It's a Small World ride. It's just, it's impossible to convey the experience. They end up sounding tedious, and you end up being bored and, like, gnawing off one of your own hands. So um, I will simply say this, that they have now three different times, the people who, uh, from you know, the place where we got the dog, they now have, uh, they're on the third revision of what they believe the dog to be breed-wise. Uh, because he was sort of, you know, he's kind of abandoned, so they didn't really know. So when we were first looking online to go pick up the dog, it, they at first claimed he was the same breed as Max. He's, Max, he's half uh, poodle, half Lhasa. And so we thought, well, that's good. You know, that gives us kind of an idea of his temperament and maybe his size or whatever. So we go to pick him up, and it was our dog, Philo, and his brother. You know, one one other dog from the same litter, both of them. And the brother, uh, you, know, we, you know, we couldn't have two new dogs. And so we, we you know, we, we chose him, but we didn't take the brother. And so we get him home, and he's got, first of all, he's got these huge deer legs. I mean, he's all out of proportion, and so we're trying to figure out exactly how big he's going to get because his body is about the same size as Max, our, our current dog, but his legs are just massive. It's like he's on these weird, like, tree legs that they've planted onto his, uh, you know, like, onto the rest of him. So we're trying to figure out exactly how big he's going to end up getting because his legs are, like, nine feet high. So we go back and we look on the website just to see if there's any sort of estimate as to what his size is going to be. But we now see that they have they have uh, revised his breed. Well, this is now the second time because first they revised it to add Cocker Spaniel. Now they've added Dachshund. So now they believe him to be Lhasa, Poodle, Cocker Spaniel, and Dachshund. By the way, he, he looks like none of these things. There is in no way uh, can you look at this dog and find any resemblance to any of those four breeds. So at this point, it is kind of a crapshoot. Uh, I mean, we we're thinking that he's basically just some weird poodle reindeer mix or something, because he just, I mean, he's just all gangly and weird, and it looks like Mr. Malvert. So, anyway, so there's no telling how big he's going to get. So, uh, at some point, I may be obliged to move him into a barn out back. Max is a long dog. It, I, it's almost like a dog wearing a dog costume. Max is? I think so. I never really ever thought so. about that. Max is a long dog. Yeah, this this dog that was all legs, man. It's like uh, it's like he's some sort of bionic cyber dog where they've taken, like he's some sort of Steve Austin, a man barely alive, uh, where my dog was killed on some sort of re, you know uh, atmospheric re-entry burn, and so they took him into uh, you know some underground secret governmental science chamber, and they attached like big robot legs to him. So he kind of he looks like that robot at the end of Wild Wild West, except he's covered in hair. Um, so speaking of science, so let's talk about the MythBusters behind the scenes, which was yesterday at the at the Schnitzer, which was fan freaking tastic, by the way. So thanks to everybody who came out to see MythBusters behind the scenes yesterday afternoon. It was all I wanted it to be and more. And I've already heard from a whole bunch of people who were there. I mean, it was one of the coolest things I have ever been to in my life, and even more so because I got to you know I was. It is privileged enough to be able to, to host it. I was the moderator for the event. That is one of the greatest afternoons I have ever spent anywhere doing anything. And I heard yesterday from a ton of listeners who were there. I just just in it right here. Uh, went to MythBusters. Fantastic, great job. Had a good time. Um, so MythBusters obviously is uh, you know the show on the Discovery Channel with uh, Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman. 
First of all, I you know, we, that was the same place where you and I went and we hosted the Harvey Corman Tim Conway thing. Um, you know, it's a few thousand people. I think it's like uh, 2,200 people, 29. something like that. 2,900 people. Yeah. So, I mean, it was packed. So I don't know how many people were there, but over 2,000, definitely. And it was uh, yesterday afternoon, and it was Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman from Mythbusters. And basically, it was like an inside the actor studio kind of a thing, where they come out on stage, and they show some film clips from the show, but then they just do Q&A, and they talk about how the show came to be, and they talk about some of the experiments gone wrong. Was the guy wearing his beret? He totally was wearing his beret. Ah. They looked exactly like you wanted them to look. You know, it was like uh, it was like Reverend Run, and that's a weird comparison, but they looked exactly the same as they do on TV. They it were exactly the same way as they are on the show. Did you get to talk, like chat with them? And talk yeah, to them? so I was you know, and as I and I posted, uh, I don't know if I posted this or I posted. I still don't have a sense that Susan Reynolds. I was uh, thanking her for helping to set it up because Susan kind of put that together. And I said it was another, you know, one of those great I love my job moments. Mm-hmm. It was that like that day that we had Peter Chris on the show as well as Mandy Moore. Remember that one day we talked to Peter Chris from Kiss, and then ten minutes later we talked to Mandy Moore, mm-hmm. and then somebody else that same day it was like three great guests in one day, and a guy sent me an email. That day when we talked to Peter Chris and Mandy Moore and whoever the third person was. And he said, after this day, Rick, there will be no more complaining about working in radio. You know, shut your head. You have the best job ever. I will say that maybe the Mythbusters guys actually have the best jobs ever, but this is a close second. Because um, it was really, really great. And I think everybody who was there uh, had a fantastic time. And I, of course, was very, very privileged in that I got to, to meet those guys. And so I went there. I got there uh, about one fifteen or so. And Jason Crump from Vanished Twin Photography, he was going to be the uh, photographer for the event. And so he and I met up, and he brought his daughter Miranda, who I think is maybe nine. or I'm terrible at guessing the ages of kids, but she's like nine or ten years of age. And it was one of those things where just as he's trained her to be a Star Trek fan and a Star Wars fan, you could tell that he clearly had instructed her that she is going to come along and learn about science and technology. So it's Jason Crump and then Miranda, who is dressed in this great Ramones T-shirt. And we go backstage, and Adam Savage and Jamie are back there. And they're doing exactly what you want them to be doing. Adam Savage is back there typing on a laptop. I think he's like in the Mythbusters forum, like answering fan questions, which is genius. And so Jason Crump and his daughter Miranda and I are back there, and we do the brief introductions. I say, hey, you know, I'm Rick Emerson. I do the show. I'm going to be moderating. And, you know, anything in particular you want me to do, how do you want me to run it? And um, and then Jason is sort of talking about getting photographs and, you know, what do you want me to do and any, anything you want pictures of. And then we hear this sort of sound at the door, and we look over, and there comes Jamie Heineman. And just as you said, looking ex- looking like you had brought him right off the screen. He's got whatever, like the Dockers, the white shirt. Huge, like, walrus mustache, and then he's got the beret. And it was was just a weird, surreal moment. I mean, you know, and we've met, I guess, our share of folks who were famous. And, uh, you know, so it's not, and I'm not saying it gets to be old hat, but, I mean, it's a thing you've done. But that was uniquely surreal for some reason, just because those guys are just, they're so huge. And they loom so large in the geek universe. And, um, anyway, and, uh, and it was something really, it was that combination of, the sort of fantastical and the mundane. So I look over and there's Jamie Heineman from Mythbusters just like buttering up a bagel, which is a weird thing. It's, you know, it'd be, I don't know, it'd be like, it'd be like, uh, you know, um, I don't know, it'd be like seeing Henry Rollins like, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like make a cup of hot chocolate. It's just one of those things you don't picture. And so, so as I'm having the conversation with Adam about how to run the event, I'm looking over and there's Jamie just buttering up a bagel and for some reason that was just fascinating to me um but uh so we go out and uh we did the event and they started with this great opening video and uh they came out and i asked them questions for about 45 minutes and which was great because 
And again, I don't mean to be all about the glory of how great this job is. That was kind of cool. So I got to ask them stuff that I specifically had always wondered about. and uh, Like that show where they blew a water heater 750 feet into the air. And I talked about that. You know, were you terrified that it was going to land on you and, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. And there was only one joke that I rehearsed for the entire, for the entire night. Because it was a weird sort of dynamic because you know, I was the moderator for it. And so I'm kind of running the thing. But obviously, I'm not the star. Nobody's there to see me. They're, you know, they're all there to see Adam and Jamie. And so it was a strange kind of vibe of trying to be sort of entertaining and to keep things running while at the same time not, you know, like I don't want to be stepping on them because it's, you know, they, you know, everybody's there for them. It's their, it's their night. So the only, the only joke I rehearsed, which I was actually so proud of, I will now repeat it here, was this. Because they described the Mythbusters event as being like inside the actor's studio, but with Adam and Jamie. So the only joke I rehearsed for the entire event was this. Uh, because Jamie and Adam had first come to the attention of the people who put together Mythbusters because they had entered this robot into Robot Wars, which then became BattleBots. And they it is notable because their robot was actually considered so lethal that it was banned from the event. It was the first and only robot ever to be banned from the event for being too aggressive. And so my only prepared joke for yesterday was... I said, uh, so Adam and Jamie, uh, you know, uh, they described this event uh, with you here today as being sort of like inside the actor studio. So I will ask my next question as James Lipton. And then I paused and I said, Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman, please tell everyone about the wondrous creation that was Blendo. And then everybody sort of laughed at that. So that was my only, and it's only, and the thing is, it's like a two percent joke at best. It's only funny if you watch inside the actor studio and know how James Lipton talks. Uh-huh. And you know what? I don't care if anybody else. That was funny. Made me laugh. I'm glad I did it. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like extra super proud of it because you're feeding it again. Man, that's it was. Good. I was. It amused me, and that's what matters. <laughs> that's all that matters. So, um, so we do the event, and I ask them, you know, uh, some questions, and then they show this great. And I did ask them at one point. I said, Hey, is there anything you guys have filmed for MythBusters? that you were not allowed to show on television. Anything that Discovery was like, F this, you are not putting this on TV. And they said, well, you know, we actually brought this clip. And there was a clip, it was a whole thing about can one light one's flatulence. And they said that Discovery was just like, no, this is too much. Even for science, you're not allowed to do this. So they showed it there, and it was actually a thing you can't see anywhere else. It was a whole thing about lighting one's flatus. Um, And uh, so they showed that. Then we take audience questions, and it was great because the audience questions, it was all like nine-year-old kids, which was just so great. All these, and these kids who were lining up, kids are like way smarter than I am. And they'd say like, okay, yeah, we'll get another audience question. And it would be some nine-year-old boy go, um, so um, can you tell me what it was like to stand inside a fully functioning Tesla coil? And what sort of amperage do you think that puts out? Thank you very much. And it was just like, it was such a great like go science, go learning, go geeks moment. I mean, it was, and not to be all serious about it, or to be too philosophical, but it was a really great moment. It made you, it made you have a little bit of hope that idiocracy may be, may be postponed, because you got to face 2,200, 2,500 people who paid to go and sit and hear guys talk about science, you know? And I mean, I know they do a TV show and they're funny and all that, but I mean, it's a science show. It is a show about scientific experiments. There's 2,200 people who paid and sat there in rapt, spellbound attention for two hours to listen to guys talk about science and would have stayed there all day. They would have stayed there for another 10 hours to hear those guys talk about scientific experiments. And then, you know, a 100 kids stood in line to ask scientific questions. I mean, it was just, it was a great, great little moment. And then so we wrap everything up. We kind of get to the end of the question section. 
And then Adam says, okay, now um, I got something here that we want to wrap this up with. Uh, everybody wants to look at this screen. And they have this huge screen above the stage. He says, we're going to end this today with something kind of special. So if, uh, if the house can turn the sound up as loud as it'll go, if you can just turn the speakers all the way up. Okay, we brought, um, we brought something that we just call explosion porn. So if everybody wants to watch the screen, and then they just did about three and a half minutes of every explosion that has ever happened on Mythbusters. Played over and over again, high-speed film, slowed down, rewound, played again to the 1812 Overture. You know, is that the... Uh, da, 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 That's exactly the song that I had in, pictured in my head when you were Yeah, that. and they're just doing this <laughs> three and a half minutes of explosions, <clears throat> and then we wrapped it up. I mean, it was just... It was just so freaking cool. It was it was one of the best things that I've ever done, and not just because you know because it gave me the chance to be you know to, to, to shake hands with the MythBuster guys. It was it was great because it was funny, it was entertaining, and it was as I said before, few thousand people you know bought tickets, stood outside in the rain, and then sat there for two hours to hear guys talk about science. It was so unbelievably cool. Um, so, anyway, so thanks to... We'll get Dick Juliano here in a moment. Thanks to everybody who came out, though, to that yesterday, to the Mythbusters. Uh, thanks to uh, to those guys, obviously, to Adam and Jamie for, for being so gracious, so hilarious, so entertaining. To the Schnitzer uh, for letting us do that and to, uh, you know... It was just... It was quite... It was quite wondrous, is what it was. All right, it's 503-733-2970. I don't have time to talk about the Tina Fey thing this weekend or O.J. Simpson, but we'll do that here in a moment. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill... CNN radio correspondent Dick Uliano. Hello, sir. Hey, Rick. Good afternoon. Good morning from uh, Washington, D.C. How are you? This afternoon. How's life? How are things? Well, you know, I mean, not real good when you think about it. They put this uh, financial plan uh, in the works, the $700 billion bailout. Uh, the market is, still continues to tumble. And uh, right now they've got uh, the uh, CEO of Lehman Brothers, the uh, Wall Street investment house that went bankrupt, which was kind of the first domino uh, that fell prior to the United States just deciding it needed to do the $700 billion bailout. And a House committee has been grilling this uh, CEO, Richard Fold, about the collapse of Lehman Brothers. And so here's a, a silly question. So if presumably, as John Edwards once said, if uh, help is on the way, in other words, they passed yeah. the bailout bill, why are things continuing to tank on the market? Well, first of all, they've only begun to set up this uh, um, structure that's going to uh, deal with uh, – of the crisis and begin to buy up these toxic mortgages. In fact, only today uh, they named uh, the person who is going to be in charge of this, uh, Kashkari, a uh, deputy over at uh, uh, Treasury Department. It was uh, announced in the Wall Street Journal today. He will be the person running it. But first of all, they, they create the kitty that will have $700 billion, but they haven't begun, really, to buy up these toxic loans. So presumably the credit markets are still frozen, and we are pretty much where we were last week, uh, except it continues, the crisis continues to spread in the financial market and to overseas markets, Europe and Asia. So I guess the question is, and maybe I don't want to know the answer to this, so how far down, in other words, by the time that presumably this solution begins to have yeah. some sort of positive effect, by that time, how far down will the effects of this have, have trickled? Do you know? Well, you know, I wish I wish we knew that. And uh, people don't even know when there might be some sort of turnaround. But the estimate that I have heard at the point at which we will begin to see this program sort of kicking in and having an effect 
is really not until like the midpoint of next year. President Bush was out on the road today, I guess, and he had said in one event, uh, this is, there's, this is not going to change overnight. And I remind you, the Treasury Secretary and the Fed Chairman warned there are no guarantees. So, uh, it's going to take time before this matter is resolved. And, and Rick, I mean, if you look at the stock market today, or if you're watching your IRA or your 401k, the, the sad news is that this can get worse before it gets better. I think I speak for uh, all of us, and by all of us, I mean myself and News Director Tim Riley when I say I'm gonna I'm taking some time off from looking at my 401k. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's really nothing. Well, you know, I think that's a good idea. You know, listen, I think it's for younger people, it's not so much of a problem as it is for older people. People in their 70s, 60s, even late 50s, it's a problem because you may not have the 8 or 10 years you're going to need to recover from all of this. Yeah, i got to say, it's sort of like when I, uh, uh, you know, my dad used to say this thing about, you know, when the lawn got, to, you know, too high or the grass started to get yeah. out of control, he just chose sometimes to close the drapes, you know. <laughs> don't, don't, not, you know, it's not going to be, not, like not going to fix itself, so he's going to just, uh, he's going to shut the curtains and watch TV. I like it. All right, watch my friend. Ball game. As always, a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Rick. There you go. Thank you. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, I do have to say one more thing here as we're sort of uh, going into the break, and we'll come back and uh, talk to Steve Cast about the other great Mythbusters moment because Jason Crump from Vanished Swim is doing the photography. We're backstage, and we're talking to Adam Savage, and Jason's like, hey, so, you know, what do you want me to shoot, and where do you want to shoot from? And Adam goes, hey, what are you shooting on? And Jason goes, oh, it's on a Nikon XB32500. And Adam says, is that the one that has that aperture setting? That da -da -da -da? And then they, five, six minutes, those guys, oblivious to everybody, nerding themselves into a froth about camera specifications. It's the best thing I've ever seen. Back after this with Steve Kastenbaum. Don't go anywhere. Fantastic. Have you tried one yet? Not yet. I'm so excited, though. Right. You know, really good. when I picture Richie's parents, I just picture Amy's parents from Futurama. I mean, I know that... Are we going to start with the impressions again? <laughs> no, I was just going to make the... Uh, and I don't do impression of Amy's, uh, an impression of Amy's parents. I always, The only impression I do from that show is Kiff, and sometimes Zoidberg. And then you're thinking of the woman who... Uh, you're thinking of the woman uh, who uh, irons my shirts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who tells me that I don't look so fat anymore? Uh, all right, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Five zero three seven five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. More of your phone calls coming up later on. Uh, Cena Radio correspondent James Roop, Richie Bristol's top five teenage moping songs. Uh, Tim Riley at the top and so forth. This, however, from New York City. Cena Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hey, Rick. How was your weekend? Weekend was good, but I think I'm going to be sick now. The, the Dow. I'm watching it as I'm listening to you, waiting to come on. Mm -hmm. The number just keeps going down yep. and down and down. It's now down 785 points. Whoa, 791 points. Wow. 9535. We're down uh, over 7.5% today. That's a bigger percentage drop than the day that it dropped 777 points last week. Do you think oh, it's whoa, hey, it hit 800. There we go. <sighs> Are you doing that thing in my head? You're doing that uh, 1929 thing of sitting there with like that weird, that weird ticker thing that looks like a clock. You know, like the dome. 
Yeah. You're just reading the ticker, and, you're just, and then you look out the window, and there's just stockbrokers falling past your window. You know, I'm wondering if there are any of those things that are still actively working, those those tickers. But, uh, yeah, so far, no reports of talking anybody off of ledges. All right. What yeah. are those things, uh, what are those clocks even called? Do you know, the, the, Sarah, the kind of clock I'm talking about? It's like a dome-shaped thing. It's like a glass. Uh, it's almost shaped, it's like bullet-shaped almost, but it's glass, and it's got the four, uh, the four sort of balls inside that spin back and forth that are presumably the pendulum. Okay, yeah, I know. You know what I'm talking about, Steve? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. know what they're called, but I've seen them, yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things that you recognize on site, but you realize you don't know the term for it. And, of course, I need the term because I need to compare the old stock ticker to that. All I remember is those, I, I say as though I were there, but I remember reading those reports that when the uh, when the 29 crash happened, that the big problem was the stock ticker at that time could not keep up with the changes. In other words, they couldn't do what you're doing right now, which is to report it literally as it happens. Right. So, um, all right, so this is... Is this a bigger point drop or a bigger percentage drop or both than the one last week? Well, it's definitely a bigger percentage drop right now. Uh, Point-wise, it's a little bit less, but that's because we lost so much that day. Last week, we lost so much on the market. You know, uh, uh, it doesn't take as much of a drop for it to be a larger percentage uh, drop. But, uh, you know, the day's not over yet. We have an hour and uh, 13 minutes of trading left. And, uh, the, you know, we're still a far ways away before, uh, you know, any of those stop gate measures right. take effect. And uh, so, you know, those when, when those things happen, then you know there's trouble, you know. Uh, and, I mean, is there any sort of sense that there's a rebound or anything on the horizon? Or is the general, in other words, is the trend going to continue? Yeah. I mean, eventually all of these stocks will go back up and they'll increase in value greatly. I mean, we're talking about the, the blue chip stocks here that are down, that the uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is a measurement of uh, you know 30 very big stocks. And so there's no way those companies are going to stay down for a long period of time. Eventually, people look at it and say, you know what, I should buy it now because it's not going to be down at this price again for a long time. And when I say people, I don't mean like everyday investors. I'm talking right. about you know the people who invest our, our 401Ks, you know, the big mutual funds. Here's a question, uh, and I only ask this because it's the sort of thing that I used to know, but my knowledge is almost certainly outdated. They used to say... Uh, way back in the 80s, uh, that IBM was the bluest of the blue chips, that IBM was the blue chip stock. What company now is, in your assessment, the bluest of the blue chip stocks? You know, I couldn't answer that. I'll have to I'll have to ask Ali Velshi because yeah. he's, he's our end-all, be-all authority on this. Dude, I dig that guy. Can I tell you, he's one of those guys that when he speaks, and I'm not saying, I'm not insinuating that he's doing this, but I'm saying that he could just, even if in some parallel world he was just making everything up, he sounds so comforting when he talks, uh, and, and not comforting in the sense that everything's going to be necessarily dandy today, but he speaks, and he's one of those guys where just in your core, in your essence, you have no doubt that he has an absolute and total grasp on that knowledge. Yeah, and I, and I have to tell you, he's my bureau buddy. Really? Yes. He and I get along really well. I yeah. dig that guy, and he dresses very well. I mean, I'm not saying you don't, but he has a certain sort of panache to the way he puts himself together. He was just on TV trying to calm fears, saying there's no way we'll ever get into another uh, depression. We're not heading to a depression now because right now we have something that they didn't have back then, and that's freedom. Uh, uh, you have a flow of information. What's right. going on immediately? You know what's going on, and also your deposits in the banks are, are secure, so there's not going to be a run on the banks. So you yeah. get those two things working against the depression. You know, I will say uh, that it is maybe disturbing, if not surprising, that when George Bush gets on television and tries to assure me, it doesn't work at all. Uh, the idea that that guy, uh, though, says that we're not going to head a depression, see there, that loves me to breathe a little easier. So, mm. all right, I think. Can I, he... 
Can I give you a couple of quotes here? I'm just looking uh, Absolutely. on the line here. Uh, Cisco Systems is now $19.60 a share. GE, $20.22. Uh, General Motors, look at Ford, $3.41 a share. Uh, Intel, $16.41. I mean, when else can you get those stocks at those bargain rates? Uh, you know, none of those companies are going away. So this so. is a sort of, for perhaps someone who might be so inclined, this is the, this is the first half of the fabled buy low, sell high uh, equation. It is. If you buy now, invest, uh, investor uh, analysts say that, yeah, you put your money in now, you're probably going to see those stocks still go down a little bit. But in the long run, you're going to make uh, a, a nice size but, profit on them. And, right? here's, and, 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 and as everybody sort of knows, and is that, look, I got like 5,000 angry emails a day that will attest to the fact that I don't know anything about, about economics. And so I come on every day and, let me tell you something. And then there's like, you know, some guy who takes time out of his life to write me 15 paragraphs about how I don't have a degree from the London School of Economics, as though anybody were under the impression that I did. But I will say this. Is it not true that right now, more than ever, you want to stay in your 401k because yeah. the buying power of your 401k is higher than it has been? Absolutely. Unless you're retiring in the very near future, this is actually a good thing for your 401k because they can buy many more shares of stock. Right, exactly. Yeah, so you, especially, so, especially if you're in an aggressive fund. Right. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, and everything. You know, there's the aggressive fund, and then there's what my wife calls the uh, the yellow-bellied fund, which is the you know keeping your money absolutely safe. But yeah, it is it is one of those things where the the power of the buying power of your 401k has increased probably almost exponentially as things have gotten worse. And if you have a long enough timeline before you need to start using that, you know, you're talking 10, 20, 30 years, then in the long run, you will more than likely come out way ahead. Hopefully. Right. The yeah. problem is a lot of people look at this and they're saying, oh, man, I really want to retire in, in 10 years, maybe maybe not 20. So it's not 5, it's not 20, but they're like, i got to really take my money out and, and stop the bleeding here. So they're putting it into the, you know, those funds that uh, invest in treasury bonds, which are a sure thing, but a much uh, smaller return. But a smaller return is better than a loss. Yeah. So, uh, so and if you're it is, taking money out of your fund, you're in trouble. And it is also, um, it is also worth noting that this – is part of the reason why the election, in, just from my read on things, is probably going to go Obama's way because right now they're saying that if you assume that the states that are either solidly in the blue or leaning blue right now, if those hold, all Obama needs to do to win is to get Florida. And Florida has a large number of retirees who are dependent uh, to the great extent on their 401k, which is just taken in the shorts right now. So the worse, this, you know, the, the worse the economy goes, the worse the 401k does, the more irritated and angry those over 65 voters are going to get. And they are, statistically speaking, the most reliable voting block. In other words, they go to the, they vote early and often. And uh, you can count on them voting. They don't wake up late and decide, screw it, I'm not going to the polls. And so... In Florida, it does have a lot of people who are reliant on that 401k, which means that this uh, could be enough to put Obama in the White House, theoretically speaking. So, yeah. it's all very, uh, it's all very it's, exciting. It's possible. That's what that's what um, you know. That's what his campaign is saying now. You know, they're they're saying exactly that. Uh, so. Final question: Do you find watching that stock thing terrifying, but strangely hypnotic? You know, I wasn't so worried when it was in the 500s and the 600s, but uh, right before I came on the air with you and I saw it hit 700, I got like a a pit in my stomach. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. by the way, that is called an anniversary clock. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, but if you're a nerd, you can also say uh, that uh, it. Re this is from Aaron. You can also say that that clock resembles from Superman, the famed bottled city of Candor. <laughs> so you know, there you go. So now you're set on either front, sir. Thank you. All right, enjoy your day, Steve.
Thank you. See you. All right, there you go. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, that clock resembles the famed bottled city of Candor from Superman. And so forth. Hello, Tim Riley. Well, hello, hello. So the Dow Jones dropped 700 points as investigators fear about the global economy. Yes. So that's bad. <laughs> you know what I like, Tim? I like your efficiency in delivering the news to the people. You know what our news should just be every, every day on the website? It should just be a huge thumbs up or a huge thumbs down. <laughs> good or bad. Yeah, it should be the, is your life good or bad today? Hey, we should probably, maybe we should do that. Maybe at the end of the day we should assess, and so for today your life is getting worse. You know, it's like but our sort good of a, might be somebody else's bad and vice versa. No, don't say that. You don't see that. Because, see, you say that, and that's when fate decides to punish us. All right. Hey, look, at least you're not O.J. Simpson. Am I right? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. Tim Riley around the corner from the Ministry of Truth. We will talk about O.J. Simpson. We will talk about the economy. We'll talk about the, well, we have a monkey watch coming up as well. And I do believe a cannibal watch. I'm going to set that here somewhere. I, I have one, too. Excellent. It could be the same cannibal. Richie Bristol counting down his top five teenage angst-ridden moping depression songs uh, and so forth. Later on, a pair of Henry Rollins tickets will be given away. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. One follow-up question about this Lindsay Lohan movie. Yes, yes. So the movie is called I Know Who Killed Me. Based on your description of this film, though, it sounds as though she is alive. No, she never died. And that's a, and her, I'm sorry, spoiler, her secret, her secret twin doesn't die either. And that at one point in the movie, she turns to her father and she looks at him and she's like, I know who killed me. And it makes no sense. Does the father go, you're right here, you're not, you're not dead. No, and the guy who played the father was like... Like super creepy too. I had my money that it was him. All right then. So it doesn't make any sense. So I didn't even think about that. So it's called "I Know Who Killed Me," but uh, who killed me? But nobody dies. Hmm. I lied. I have one more question about it. Why did you choose? Not that it didn't end up being a great decision. Why did you choose to watch this film? I I remember reading about it when she was like all you know crazy drug addicted and like making it, and it right. sounded like. And I've seen clips of it. And it sounded like the worst, best movie ever, and it turned out to be. Excellent. It's the greatest movie I could have ever picked. Well, ever. see, and I won't be able to, you know, there's going to be a run on it now. Like, I'm going to go to all the stores, and it's going to be gone. So, all right. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, a pair of tickets to see Henry Rollins uh, when he's in town next week. Uh, we're going to talk to him tomorrow. He'll be uh, on the show tomorrow. Then he's in town next week. We'll have a pair of tickets. And for that, we are going to, pardon me, we are going to do that 60-second uh, contest that we meant to do last week. We just ran out of time with all you know, the debate and everything that happened. So uh, in honor of Sarah Palin, we're going to do a talk for 60 seconds about something you know absolutely nothing about contest. And you got to be able to fill 60 seconds. So that's not right now. It's later on, though. And if you can do it, you win a pair of tickets to see Henry Rollins' spoken word um, next week. Speaking of Sarah Palin, later on, we have two submissions for a Palin watch. One is good. One is just strange. I mean, they're both kind of great. But I don't know that either of them is necessarily going to be the uh, the winner, but we'll play those later on and so forth. This, however, at the Ministry of Truth, is Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, I 
going to make things worse by telling you the stock market dropped another 700 points. But I'll save that for later. Uh, something equally amazing. A man has been arrested for riding a tricycle under the influence. This happened as OSP trooper Dave Tim saw a group of intoxicated people at Tamil Lakes County Park. This is, uh, well, way out there east, near Lakeside. One of the individuals, William David Borquist, told Trooper Tim he was going to ride his purple Miami Sun tricycle. The officer told him not to ride it because he was obviously intoxicated. Well, he disobeyed. He First, he told the police he would not ride it. Well, a short time later, the trooper spotted this man riding his tricycle in the traffic lane on the wrong side of Park Avenue, riding through a stop sign and down the wrong side of South 11th Street. Officer Tim spotted him, and he showed uh, obvious signs of impairment. I'm unclear about where the first part of this story took place. The part where he tells the cop he's going to be riding his tricycle, and the cop says no. This is at... Ten Mile Lakes County Park. Oh, so the cop must have been just doing a routine check, yeah. mm-hmm. and he sees the guy <clears throat> drunk. I'm going to ride my tricycle. Oh, no, you're not. Well, that's fantastic. Okay. You promise not to? Oh, yes, I promise. And then later on, mm-hmm. that was shown to be a lie, wasn't yep. it, Tim? Mm-hmm. Right. He failed field sobriety test and was taken into custody for driving into the influence of intoxicants, taken to Coos County Jail, and uh, he was released uh, to the custody of the jail staff. So do not ride your tricycle around after the police officer tells you not See, to. See, that ought to get an honorary tasing right there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that just seems so fundamentally stupid that it seems like it deserves some sort of an electroshock to be administered. Mm-hmm. A car and a pickup truck traveling the opposite direction simultaneously hit a cow northwest of Crater Lake. The driver of the car died at the scene, as did the cow. Mm. This is a Buick, driven by 51-year-old Newton Rodney Wonkot. It was westbound in Oregon 230 as a Ford pickup truck was approaching eastbound. The two vehicles hit a cow at the same time as it was walking across the highway. Uh, the two men didn't come in contact with each other. That must have been a giant cow. This uh, this is in an area of an open range for livestock, so people are warned to be careful of cows. In so that it was area. a four-lane road, and so the cow must have been... He was trying to get to the other side. He was walking across the highway. That's why the cow crossed the road? Yes. Or would have? Mm-hmm. Anywho, uh, I was just going to say, the, so the cow must have been in exactly the wrong place. He must have been... The cow was in the wrong place. Straddling... Bu- I mean, for two cars to hit one cow simultaneously, unless the cars were somehow right next to each other. Mm-hmm. So that must have been... So how big is a cow, would you say? I haven't seen a cow in person for years. Not since I was a kid. Don't say it's cow-sized. Hey, it's it's, it's going to be at least six feet long. Would you not agree? Yeah, they're pretty big. I don't know. Bigger than you think. They're like six hundred pounds or something. I mean, I have no. Yeah, I I saw a cow. I mean, I used to go to my uh, my uncle's farm when I was a kid, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So, well, anyway, so don't, boy, but that just brings up. That's another fear I have. I would say this. I actually have a bigger. That mm, I'll I'll rephrase this. My fear of logging trucks trucks is intense. I mean, I have an intense fear of logging trucks. My fear, though, of hitting an, uh, like an ant, like an elk or a deer or a cow or something, that happens more often. In other words, I experience that fear to a lesser degree, but with greater frequency. Because, and it's every time I come back from like, you know, just come back from fries or something. You drive back from Wilsonville and you see those signs where it's like the deer, and the, the the sign always has the deer sprinting into the road, like top speed, at, at, at like you know Olympic speed. And you realize, and this is late at night, too, it's always late at night. You don't have this fear when you're driving during the day for some reason. Uh, and I don't think it's because of visibility, because theoretically the thing can still jump out in front of you. But late at night, you're driving along, and everything is more terrifying late at night because your brain is bored, I think, and starts to just sort of turn in on itself. So you're driving along late at night, 
like 60 miles an hour home from Wilsonville because you don't want to dawdle. You want to get home in time for Gossip Girl. And so you're driving along, and it's dark, and you think, and then you pass the sign that shows like a family of elk jumping in front of a car, and you start to think to yourself, all right, you know, if one of those things jumps out right now, I, I mean, would I be able to stop? And obviously, because the sign is there, it has happened before. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is like it, it's indicative. Place to put a sign. Like they don't do that randomly. That's not a preventative measure. That's done a little bit after the, uh, after the horse has left the barn and been hit by a Kenworth. So. You're driving down the road and you're thinking to yourself, all right, well, if, if I mean, what, okay, well, let's say it's not a moose. I mean, what if it's like a deer? Well, I could, I could probably miss a deer. I don't know. It's smaller. Now, if it's smaller, it might be harder to see, though. Okay, wait, hold on. Let's, okay, let's try to figure out right now if I'd be able to miss a deer. Okay. Now, okay, we're driving down the road. All right, Emerson. Now, that, uh, okay, you see that one, see that one white stripe in the roadway up there? We're going to pretend that's the deer. All right, let's see how long it takes to get to it. All right, no, 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 there's no way. I totally hit it there. Okay, what if the deer jumps out 50 feet further ahead? Than, oh, I'm screwed there, too. Jesus, what if the... What, what if, if you this... drive one of those smart cars? That would truly be the end. <laughs> what, what if what if this white stripe just in front of me was the deer? Like, he just jumped right over the embankment. Oh, God, I'm dead. i got to get home right now. Okay, let's just let's just close our eyes and speed blindly home and try to get try to get behind our door and safe as quick as possible. I mean, that's the thing, right? You just sit there, you're just terrified about it, so... These stories do nothing to allay that phobia, by the way. And, you know, a cow isn't a very smart animal anyway. No, it's not. You have to go close up and try to have a conversation. You can tell there's nothing going on there. I mean, at all. It, it just eats and defecates. And that's the most you can expect out of a cow. Some do give milk. The rest are for people who want to eat steak. Just, you remember you just said, like, 90 seconds ago that when they put up that sign, it's not a theoretical thing. They put up that sign to, because they have firsthand knowledge that that situation might occur. Right. When you just now said, have you ever tried to have a conversation with a cow, you walk up to it and it doesn't say anything back. Well, no, I didn't say it didn't say anything back. You, you can tell it's not processing the information you're giving it. Have you like ever? Some animals will respond, say your dog, if you're speaking to it. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with a cow, Tim Riley? I went up to a cow and I said, hello, Mr. Cow, how are you? And they continued to eat. I said a couple of other things, which I, I can't remember offhand, and it still ignored me. It, 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 it did not respond to what I was saying at all. Well, were you asking it, were you asking it vague, open-ended questions? Because maybe it just Probably, as, as people would in any barnyard. I mean, well, but I guess, I guess what I'm saying is... I, I, I can't remember exactly what I asked. But if, you're, but if you ask your dog, sit, you know, okay, the dog sits. Mm -hmm. If you ask your dog, how do you feel about the passing of Estelle Getty? Probably not going to get much of a response. No. So what did you say to the cow? I don't remember, but I, I tried saying a couple things. Was it open-ended or was it a command? No, it, over. it was open-ended to see if, Tip. if I could establish eye contact with it. And it didn't want to make eye contact? No, it did not. Maybe it was intimidated. I don't think so. I mean, it, it's much bigger than I was. Yeah, it was true. a brown cow, not a moo cow. <laughs> did you... Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I take it back. Hey, final question. B because you just made me think about dogs with this. And I've been talking about how this dog we got, Philo... Um, and remind me to tell, speaking of which, there's another, there's another great... Um, P-H-I-L-O. P-H-I-L-O after Philo T. Farnsworth. Uh, there is another great geeky moment from Mythbusters. Oh, actually, i just tell you real quickly. Uh, so, backstage at Mythbusters, getting ready to go on, and, and again, Jason Crump from Vanish Twin Photography, who is just a full-on screaming nerd, in, you know, in the best of ways. We're all backstage, and... Uh, his daughter, Miranda, is there. And Adam Savage, uh, you know, the, he's the bespectacled. Uh, he's the guy with the horn rim glasses. The, he's that myth. But the guy without the beret. And 
you know, he's a big, big music fan, big rock fan, obviously, if you watch him enough on the show. And he sees that Miranda is wearing a Ramones T-shirt, which is part of, you know, Jason Crump's, uh, you know, like that that overarching educational system he's put into place in his home to make her the coolest kid ever. And Adam says, hey, I like your shirt. And he says, you know, you know, what's your name or whatever? And, and she says, oh, I'm Miranda. And then Jason Crump, I think he actually just volunteered this information without being asked. Adam says, what's your name? And she says, Miranda. And Jason says, she's named after the Miranda-class starship from Star Trek. And that's the sort of information that you throw out, and you sometimes, in, you know, that just lays there on the floor like a, like an empty basketball. And Adam Savage just says, like, that is so cool. And then, and, then, and then Jason totally ups the ante. Having just revealed that he named his first daughter after a starship class from Star Trek, Jason immediately then spits out, and my new daughter Scarlett is named after uh, uh, that Scarlett from G.I. Joe. And even at, at that, even Adam from Mythbusters said, pardon me? <laughs> and Jason said, my new daughter Scarlett, uh, my uh, my recently born daughter, she's she's named after Scarlett from the G.I. Joe cartoon. And Adam kind of chewed on it for a moment. He goes, that is fantastic. And then he revealed that his daughters are named after, you know, some something from some, like, obscure British television show. And I said, well, look, I, you know, I don't have any kids. I said, the best I can do is to tell you that my new dog is named Philo for Philo T. Farnsworth. And then... Adam immediately, Adam Savage just goes, that is so great. Philo T. Farnsworth. That reminds me of the guy who invented intermittent windshield wipers. And then he starts going on this long discussion about the guy who invented intermittent windshield wipers. I believe that movie's coming out. The Greg Kinnear movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but apparently Adam Savage is a big fan of that guy and has been forever. And so I just told, like, in really astonishing detail, the life story of the guy who invented intermittent windshield wipers. So... I do have to say, in case you have ever wondered this about the, the Mythbusters dudes, they are exactly that way off-camera. On-camera, off-camera, just flat-out, full-on screaming science geeks to the core. So, uh, so, And it was a conversation that really wouldn't be cool anywhere else, you know what I mean? Like revealing that you named your daughter after something from Star Trek. I mean, in a you know, regular conversation, that sort of thing goes over, I would say, with maybe mixed results. Uh, to that guy, though, it was the best thing ever. So, um, anywho... Um, Oh, but so my question about uh, my dog Philo, after Philo T. Farnsworth, is, as I was saying earlier, he's got a body that's about the same size as our other dog, but his legs are huge. They're like deer legs. And he and he kind of walks sort of unsteadily, and I think it's because his legs somehow maybe developed first or something. In other words, the rest of his body's kind of got to grow to be to make him in proportion. So he's got like little tiny body, huge legs, like pipe cleaners that he's walking around on. And my my question is this. Do dogs have any sense of how big they are? I mean, do they? Do you no. think they even know? No. My lapse is much more vicious strangers than the Dalmatian is. See, but that was my thing, because Max is that way. We have this Great Dane down the street. And Max leaves dogs his own size alone. We get anywhere near that Great Dane, and Max is, you know, he's he's like, let me at him. I'll, I'll rip him a new one. You did not kill him. You know, I mean, my dog is, and he's just like, like the girliest dog ever. He is a tiny, tiny little white fluffy Kleenex ball. But, man, he just is all like, let me at that great day, and I'm going to give him what for. And he just embarrasses himself and me. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, I'm a guy walking a tiny white poodle that's trying to pick a fight with a great Dane. It's just shameful. But, so, Lauren, I had this conversation of, if we were somehow, like, if we had a magic wand, if we somehow made Max, like, the same size as, the, like, if we could somehow make him five times his size like that, do you think he'd even know? No. We just spend the whole day walking into everything because he thought he was still the same size. All right, well, there you go. So, smarter than a cow, still not that smart. All right, uh, this, however, is Tim Riley. 
So now we have this mass murder, and because it takes place in California, it's going to attract more attention than, say, if it happened in Cleveland. So this story will undoubtedly turn into something much bigger by the end of the day. Six people have been found dead inside an exclusive community. This is Porter Ranch in the San Fernando Valley, gated. and that money to live there. The case appears to be a murder-suicide, although it's unclear how the victims died. A gun has been involved. The bodies were discovered inside the home located in an exclusive gated community in the northwest San Fernando Valley. The family did not, own, did not own this home. They were renters. The homeowner said the family never missed a payment, though. So uh, police are scheduled to give a briefing at this crime scene any moment now. Houses in this gated community start at $830,000. So, wait, where was this? Porter Ranch. I, I don't know. It is an is. exclusive gated community in the northwest San Fernando Valley, right, Port okay. Simi Valley. Okay. If you look out on the map, that's where all the roads stop, and there are these big estates up there right, and gated right. communities, okay. and they never say that there are roads up there. So, there'll be more to this later on. Maybe uh, Jim Rupa know. Did anybody watch uh, Saturday Night Fever over the weekend? What? what? Did anybody watch Saturday Night Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live over the weekend? Why are you always going to touch my hair? Don't touch my hair! Well, it was on again this weekend. <laughs> yes, I... Uh, As I, it is every weekend. I, actually, uh, I I only watched the Tina Fey... I'm Tina Fey. The Sarah Palin, Joe Biden thing. That's all I watched, and I watched that online. Mm-hmm. Um, although, apparently, there was a great Lawrence Welk sketch uh, that everybody's talked about, and I, I missed that. I only watched the Tina Fey and then whoever the guy is that plays Joe Biden part... I will say this, enough to make this one observation before, before you do this. The, the thing about Tina Fey and SNL right now, Tina Fey is to SNL as Sarah Palin is to the McCain ticket. She is the only thing giving them any momentum and the only reason anybody cares right now. As soon as, as, soon as uh, uh, Sarah Palin loses this election, which they will, as soon as Tina Fey is done, you can tell that as a country, we're all going to go, eh, and like go back to never watching SNL again. She is the only thing giving that show any legs right now. So uh, they better pray that Sarah Palin holds on, because once Tina Fey's done, everybody else is finished with that show. So let's listen to some funny comedy routines. Due to the historically low expectations for Governor Palin, were she simply to do an adequate job tonight and at no point cry, faint, run out of the building, or vomit, you should consider the debate a tie. Our second funny moment is Republican Vice Presidential Candidate Sarah Palin, played by Tina Fey, is spoofed once again on the SNL program. You know, we're going to take every aspect of the crisis and look at it, and then we're going to ask ourselves, what would a maverick do in this situation? (laughs) And then, you know, we'll do that. The real uh, challenge for Tina Fey, though, is uh, it's got to be tricky because it's like, how do you out-parody a woman who is just so much a parody of herself to begin with. Yet, people who take her seriously don't consider it a parody. Well, no, because they're hicks. But that would be the vast majority of America, would it not be? Yeah, but I mean... Why has no one called her a bluff? Well, because people are dumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... I mean, you know, that's a rhetorical question, isn't well, it? I know. I'm, I'm baiting you on Because people are morons, Tim. Right. I mean, it's... Uh, oh, speaking of which, remind me to talk about this idiocracy thing. Mm-hmm. Um... Boy, don't you wish you had stock in Idiocracy? Because that's a movie that with every... You know, and it's interesting with Mike Judge, because he had such a huge... Uh, and we'll get the back to SNL in a second. Um, he had such a big hit with Beavis and Butthead, right out of the gate. Huge hit. Uh, sort of fell off in season three, but then came back strong. Uh, you know, and still has a, a strong legacy. 
you know, he talks every now and again about bringing Beavis and Butthead back, and I think it's probably a bad idea, but I'd like to see him do occasional specials, like Beavis and Butthead return every now and again. I'd, I'd watch that. Um, he ought, hey, here's the thing. You know what he ought to do? Be, he ought to do some sort of a fair use parody thing where Beavis and Butthead, instead of watching videos, do something like watching a little bit of the, of the debate. That'd be interesting. Um, but, um, you know that he had King of the Hill, which is really one of the most sublime things ever to air. King of the Hill is one of the all-time great sitcoms. And people sort of don't recognize how great King of the Hill is because it's not flashy. You know, King of the Hill isn't like Friends or Seinfeld or, uh, you know, any of those any of those things that sort of get all the media hype or the buzz or the attention. King of the Hill is just consistently funny. They do what they do. It's charming and hilarious and occasionally sort of subversively witty. But, you know, it's not like King of the Hill is reinventing the wheel. So people sort of, and plus it's on every single day all the time, so you sort of take it for granted. But King of the Hill is, a, is quite a, a charming, wonderful little show. I don't watch it all the time. Probably nobody does. But you know what? It's reliable. If you, there's nothing around to watch and King of the Hill is there, you watch it and you're going to, you know, you'll like it. It's funny. Um, and then he did... You know, around that same time, he did Office Space, which, of course, as everybody knows, was a huge disaster when it came out. Just a bomb. There was like three. I saw it in the theater, and there was like four or five other people. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, the place was empty. And then it became a huge hit on DVD. And um, and has he did anything else? But has he done another movie other than that in Idiocracy? Why am I thinking Mike he's... Judge? Yeah. Why am I thinking he's done a third? Well, Beavis and Butthead to America. That didn't really count, though. Um, but then Idiocracy, same thing. You know, they only showed Idiocracy in four theaters. Four. Released it into four theaters for three days. Done. That's it. You're done. So, but like all of his, uh, you know, all of his experience with Office Space, it, it just same thing. Went right to DVD, basically, and then has had this huge... I was listening to Lycus the other day. He's talking about Sarah Palin. Woman calls up. She's like, Tom, have you ever seen the movie Idiocracy? We are living that now. And Idiocracy is so great in the, in the way that it has become just... It has become a term, right? When you say, look, we are living Idiocracy, everybody kind of who's like us, everybody sort of in our kind of demographic, our people, everybody knows what that means. So I'm telling you right now, I wish there was some way to buy stock in that movie because that movie is only going to become more and more beloved uh, as time goes on. Also this, I had this thought this weekend, speaking about the stock market, so you know there's that there's that sin fund that my wife has us in where it's all, it's just all things that are bad. There's a, I forget what it's actually called, but it's just... It's alcohol. Oh, it's alcohol, cigarettes, gambling. Alcohol, cigarettes, gambling, and the weapons industry for some reason. Oh, the Joe Six Pack Fund. Well, but see now, but see that now you're getting into my next point. So my wife has us in this fund, which is all just vices, basically. Mm -hmm. Again, it's as Sarah said, it's gambling, cigarettes, alcohol, and weapons. So I was thinking there ought to be. And this totally sounds like I'm doing a jump to conclusions, Matt. Thing there ought to be an idiocracy fund, right? Where you just where the fund, because, and so, you know, not like I understand it all that well, but basically what it is, is it, it is a, it is where you are investing some money. Help me describe this, Tim. So it's basically that you are giving some money to some folks who are going to put it into a series of stocks for you in an aggregate sense. It's a mutual fund. Yeah, so that, but I'm, you know, so that you do not have to, you know, find each of those stocks to do, a, do the investment you're specific to each thing. You know, you have to right. do each one individually. Mutual fund. So there ought to be, though, some fund that is the idiocracy fund that just invests in businesses that pander to morons. So I was trying to think of, like, what would that even be without naming specific businesses or companies, obviously. So if this is, you know, something is just a work in progress in my head, 
like scratchers and cigarettes. See, that's what I'm saying. See, that's right there. That, those, you're never going to go out of business there. No. And so some of those things are also in the vice fund, but I'm going to roll this around in my head a little bit more and try to put together some idiocracy mutual fund into which you could invest. Because that idiot that thinks Sarah Palin's a real deep thinker, that guy's going to, what have we learned from the, from the financial crisis? That guy's going to continue to spend money whether he has it or not. So companies that are patronized by that guy will never lose money, ever. Because those folks will continue to spend money even as they are going into the poorhouse. So what you need to do is find out a way to invest in companies that sell products to morons. That's where your big return is going to be. That's where your dollar is going to be the safest right now. I agree. Well, it's kind of tricky to talk about if we can't name specific businesses. I mean, there are tons of them well, coming into my mm-hmm. head. Yeah, you know who we're talking about. Yep. Uh, anyway, so uh, Sarah Palin, so how do you think – it must be tough for Tina Fey to actually try to parody, though, somebody who is just so ridiculous to begin with. I mean, I, it, it's, it, it's sort of – it's interesting. It's like trying to parody somebody on Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be a little bit of a challenge for her. Do we have more uh, – Let's see. There? I think I have uh, one more. Uh, somebody uh, talked about the vice president. And again, this is a man I love. <laughs> spend the rest of my life on a desert island with only one other person, it would be John McCain, no doubt about it. I mean, you should see the way my face lights up when he walks into a room. You know, that's, that was the, the sort of tack that Joe Biden guy took. He did the two things. He did one, constantly talking about how great, you know, I love John McCain like a brother. I've worked with him forever. But don't get me wrong. He's a vile, reprehensible human being. He had that and then he was doing the uh, talking, you know, because in, in this election, like all others, it's like a, it's like a, a poor off See, like, who, you know, who can talk about coming from the most disadvantageous background? Who can, like, have the biggest sob story about growing up poor? And the Biden guy was doing that thing about the, you know, coming from Scranton. Scranton's a suck hole. I'm the only good thing ever to come. Scranton is a living embodiment of all that is painful and wrong. But even so, the name of the place suggests Scranton. Scranton. Is that where uh, the office takes place? It, it is. Scranton? Yeah. yeah. So, all right. You know, when Dunder Mifflin is the name of that company, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, do you think, an intentional play on the on the Hooten Mifflin Company? That's what I was thinking. I have always assumed, and Hooten Mifflin is a great, I, I wish I could name a band Hooten Mifflin. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that band Slater, Kenny. I'd like to be, uh, we're here with our band Hooten Mifflin. But Hooten Mifflin would only sing kids' songs. You'd be like the, uh, you'd be like the Imagination Movers or something. Why do I know sing that? Sing the Candyman. Is that an order to me right now? No, I'm just thinking that's a song that the band might Oh, I was going to say that. I mean, I will if you really want me to. We're right. totally on a different wavelength today for some reason. What what wavelength are you on, Tim Riley? I don't know. Apparently the wrong one. I'm sorry. Am I offending in some way? No. We're just not connecting. I will say that I spent the first 10 or 12 minutes of the show still waking up. I had my caffeine really late today. Uh, in fact, you saw me as I came into the studio about 10 minutes before showtime, and they say caffeine takes half an hour to hit your body. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, drink it, you get a little amped up because your body's like a Pavlovian thing. But about 10.50 this morning, I actually just poured my first caffeine. Uh-huh. So that's why in the first 15 minutes of the program, you heard me going, and uh, Steve and other stuff. Right when Sarah started to talk about this great Lindsay Lohan movie, that's when the caffeine hit my brain, and I started to really sort of wake up and get in the groove. But Because usually you know what I'm talking about even before I finish a sentence. Do I not know that today? No. I can't tell. Well, you'll catch on as time goes on, I suppose. All right. Wait, are you saying that I sound dumb today? No, no, no. <laughs> that is not what I said or am thinking. So in what sense am I not... I want to make sure that I'm not falling down on the jobs. No, no. We, we, we seem to all 
for some reason, because it's Monday, lack the spontaneity that one might be used to for this hour. I know. I think I, well, I, I used drunk. up all of my energy. I can't speak for anybody else. Oh, you... No, no, please keep thing. going. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to quit. Um, we don't need quitters. In I feel like we're in marriage I I counseling. Peaked, I know. I think I peaked just my review if I know who killed no, me. Well, really, I mean, how are you doing? I'm in trouble. It's, it's only 1230. All right. Here's no, Tim Riley. No, it seems like Tim's talking, and you're not really listening to what he's saying. But then, then No, no, he, really is list, he, he is listening. He, it, it's not very captivating to him. No, no, no. It's, that's, that's not at all the case. Here's what it is. No, no, no. So we can just... These are things that need addressing, as I said. This is... What's with the drunk thing? Yes, I was drunk yesterday, not now. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is hungover. This isn't drunk. Please forgive me. It, it just feels like this is the first day we've ever worked together. Rick Emerson regrets the error. <laughs> okay, now see, and I don't mean to be argumentative. I don't feel that way at all. Okay. I feel like today's show is going well, great. Fine. I will say this. Yes. I don't think it's that... In no way am I not captivated by you. That was a weird sentence. No, no, that, that wasn't the accusation. In other words, I find your stories interesting and compelling today. It's not that I'm not listening or paying attention. I think what it is is today is... You're worried is... about the stock market. No. No, I'm really not, strangely enough, because there's, there's F all I can do about it. So, um, you know what it is? Today is one of those days, though, where everything you say reminds me of about four different but equally interesting to me anyway ideas that oh, i want to talk about okay so that's exactly what it is when you say that we're sort of uh that our timing is a little weird mm -hmm. it's because you play one soundbite from sarah palin mm -hmm. and within 30 seconds i have gone to sarah palin snl idiocracy to mutual funds and then all the way back to snl again so every time you speak today there's about 15 different comments that I want to make all at the same time. So that's really what it is. It, Tim, it's that I find you too captivating. No, I, there was no harsh accusation meant there. You were just, you're too compelling for me today. Just, I am so overwhelmed with observations about your news that uh, I'm, I'm a man drowning in ruminations, Tim. I just received this note from Dave Zinn. Flu shots, free for CBS employees, F that. will be administered here at the First Street Building this Wednesday from 11 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. in the conference room upstairs. Do not want. Don't do it. I don't think those nurses were real last year. No, it was just some, just like Kathy Moriarty in a smock. Um, no, and look, I hate I, to I think those those nurses were like hired by manpower or something just to put on those smocks <laughs> and come in and pretend to be nurses, giving up flu shots. I need a job for a day. All right, put on this outfit. Have you ever used a hypodermic needle? Oh, yes. All right, here you go. You're going to be a nurse. I hate to give this speech every year, but screw that. There's no way you're giving me a flu shot. Remember how sick I got the last time? Remember how I told you not to do it? I know. I know. <laughs> and Kristen Bowie did it last year. the next day. I told you. Oh, yeah, Kristen Bowie did it last year. Remember, she was like instantly sick, and she was sick all winter. Yeah. Let's all get sick. No. That's it. Rick Emerson is again going to uh, eschew the flu shot. And look, maybe I'll get sick, maybe I won't, but everybody I know who got the flu shot got sick. Mm. So, yeah, I didn't uh, get it last year, and I didn't get sick, and I got it the year before, and I was sick constantly. And don't get me wrong. Maybe I don't give his Botox instead. And I, uh, no, because that'd be much smoother if that were the case. I, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not rejecting science. Uh, I'm no, uh, I'm no Sarah Palin, John McCain. I, uh, Rick Emerson believes in science, and I'm sure the Mythbusters guys, uh, you know, yesterday were speaking to me and to a whole room full of people who believe in science. That being said, as somebody once said, everything that works goes through a phase uh, when it doesn't work. I don't think the flu shot is at the stage where it's working quite yet. Now, I understand in theory that works, you know, where they give you a weakened version of a virus or whatever the hell it is, and then your body uh, gets an immunity to it. 
I think the flu shot may still be in the intermittently effective phase. It doesn't seem like it is always having the desired effect. So I'm going to wait until that sort of, I don't want to take any uh, shot that's in beta, if it's all the same to everybody else. Well, the other thing is, needle in arm for free could make people suspicious. <laughs> and I'm it could, be, it could be dishwashing detergent for all we know. You know, and that's the other thing. Since when are they giving you, uh, since when are they giving you any kind of health care for free? Because I think even the part-timers get it, right? Yeah. I, mean, I think I th anyone who wanders by the kitchen can get it. Seriously. We should, we should go recruit some homeless guys, see if they'll take it, you know? But, I mean, I think that anybody in the building, even those who maybe um, do not have access to uh, the finest of health care in this country, are given free medication. And you're right, Tim, that does make me almost immediately suspicious. Mm -hmm. yeah, this country doesn't take care of people for free. That's retarded. That would be uh, socialism. Yeah, seriously. That's only for Wall Street types. Uh, hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson program. Hello. Hi, Rick. What's up? I, I spotted a creepy billboard on Highway 26 I thought you should know about. Mm-hmm. It's uh, remember the Par Lumber billboard a few months ago, and there was kind of a controversy over it. The guy standing out in his bathrobe in his underwear. Yes, sure. And it, and it said something about you know it's time to put up a fence, and people were up in arms over it. Anyways, they have it now where there's some little girl, and she's standing there, and she's got her palms in her face, and then it, and then in big letters it says, "Uh oh, it's uh oh, I'm leaking." <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have laughed. Well, there you go. That's how you reach the American consumer. I laughed at it. Please uh, send us a picture. Well spotted, yeah, sir. Yeah, what was it for? It's for, uh, is it, Our lumber. It's for lumber. Yeah, it's obviously like a play on words. Yeah. Then it says on the bottom, it's time for new windows. That's fun. See, there you go. That's funny. Look, it made me giggle. So, uh, <laughs> mission accomplished for those guys. All right, thank you, sir. Uh, and uh, God help us if Sarah Palin becomes president. Well, God will help. You'll need God's help. I will have God's help because that means I'll have comedic grist for however long she's in office. Oh. All right, thank you. Best show ever. Thank you, my friend. All right, let's do one more, then we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, it's Houghton Mifflin. Oh, the, the, the children's textbook. Oh, no, they do college textbooks and uh, trade books, as is, well as children. How do you, it's, it's pronounced how? Houghton Mifflin. It's like Gloucester. Houter, Houghton no, Mifflin. Houghton, Houghton. That would be Gloucester. Tim and G like Gloucester, yes. Um, I should say that my pronunciation of what I thought was the Houghton Mifflin Company mm -hmm. is based solely and totally. It's like the Willamette. I'm sorry. It's like the Willamette. Well, I guess okay. So I, I, I'm not disputing that your pronunciation is correct. I'm saying no, I, I worked there. I'm sorry, I was a senior uh, designer in the college textbook. I didn't even know they were still around. Well, let me tell you why I've been pronouncing it wrong all this time. Because it's strange how these things sort of stick with you. How you hear something wrong. The first time, even years ago, I remember being, and I can actually tell you who it was, it was my third grade teacher, who was hot, by the way, my third grade teacher, who I think must have been on their payroll somehow, because she actually stood at the front of the classroom. I remember her giving the speech, and she actually used this phrase, which for some reason I've remembered all these years. She said, the Hooten Mifflin Company believes that education happens best when it's enjoyable. And now that I look back, like, why was she saying that? Was she somehow like on the take from she them? She probably was. They, so, do. they do a lot of promotion. So. All right, but now let me update the file. Houghton Mifflin. Houghton Mifflin. Houghton Mifflin, Houghton Mifflin, Houghton Mifflin. All right, great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. Let's take a break. Back after this with more uh, news, which I will find compelling and entertaining, Tim Riley. I didn't. I hope you didn't take that. I'm sorry, were you speaking? 503-733-2970. Back after this. Yeah, 
You know, since you were talking about this Lindsay Lohan movie where she's an amputee stripper, uh-huh. I should tell you that Mike Everhart used to know a blind twin, stripper. Too. What? The secret twin. Don't forget about the secret Neither of whom is dead. Yes. But the movies I know who killed me. Yes. All right. Yeah, Mike Everhart used to know a blind stripper uh, who stripped right here in Portland. And apparently she had memorized the, the dimensions of the stage. That's interesting. It sounds like an urban legend, but he's he's like, no, no, no. It's like I don't, I don't, I think they were just friends or something. But he's like, yeah, she was a blind girl and she was hot though, so she stripped and she'd memorized the dimensions of the stage. Although he did at one point, some customer had put his um, ashtray up on the stage. She stepped right out and fell off into the crowd. Oh. As long as it wasn't a lit cigarette. No, it was just sort of a dun 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 dun. Wah, wham. So there you go. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. This is Tim Riley. Now eBay is going to cut its workforce by ten percent. And get rid of about 1,600 jobs. Who knew that? Why How is, many people work there? Why does eBay need a workforce? Apparently, they have a lot of people who work there. Doing what? That's a good question. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Isn't eBay just, you, you go on and you put up a web page and I go on and I offer you $10 and then you send, send me a thing in the mail? They would not describe which positions would be cut, other than to say they come across the, com- uh, across the company and around the world. Seriously, I call BS on that, right? What would it, how would you possibly employ 1,000 people at eBay? What would you have them doing? Mm-hmm. Eh, it makes no sense at all. No, I'm calling shenanigans on that. It says it'll buy an online payments business, bill me later, for $820 million in cash. So they're laying off people, but they're buying more stuff. I guess that's the way we do business here in America. But they're, ba- hold on, but they're buying an online payment company, which means that they will have even further, yeah. uh, or uh, I mean, even less involvement in this, because now there's somebody, because somebody else handling the pay- which I think PayPal already does, by the way. Mm-hmm. Whatever. They say they're creating efficiency. I mean, if you were to go to the eBay headquarters or whatever, like, where what is you, that? I, I don't know. What would you even see there? It's not like you're buying anything from them. They don't have a warehouse full of stuff. It's not Cosmo.com. I mean, well, all right. It don't feel like you have to call and, you know, like, tell us exactly what a thousand people will be doing at eBay. It just seems sort of strange. Hey, did you see this thing about Joe Biden having uh, Botox? No, I didn't. Uh, it's just a theory, by the way. Uh, from the New York Post. So, I know he you know. has those veneers on his teeth. Does he? Because he has those Lou Dobbs teeth. The big, the big, the huge, like, the, um, God, what is, uh... Ed McMahon has them, too. What does Michael Mara call Lou Dobbs teeth? I forget. He calls them, um, it's not, it's not fence post teeth. It's something like that. But it's, uh, it's just those huge, massive teeth. Here's a question, Tim Riley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know a lot about teeth. Because you, uh, well, you're... No you're, more than the average person. Oh, you're nuts for dental hygiene, though. Uh, so... Well, I have teeth like any other person. Yes, you do. Um, we both have teeth. Um, why do those veneers look so bad? In other words, everybody knows they look terrible. Why don't they design a kind of veneer that doesn't look terrible? Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a good question. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, no one's under the illusion that, that, that they look good. No one looks at them and goes, oh, those are fantastic, Johnny Resnick. Way to get your teeth done well. Everybody looks and they go, God, your mouth is really tiny, your teeth are really huge, and your face is all out of proportion, man. Uh, same thing I, with I Lou Dobbs. You, 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 can, you can tone them down. You know who else had that done? Chris Rock. Uh, and I think he had them redone, though, because, like, one day Chris Rock had teeth that were not bad, but they were, like, average American teeth, not perfect. Next day, huge teeth. Perfect. But, like, way too big. And then the next time I saw him, like, back to sort of normal again. So I think he actually went through several sets of new veneers or whatever. Just like Hillary Duff, how she had those huge horse teeth. Totally, you know, totally. she had those done, and then she had smaller ones put in. Now, is a veneer just a thing put on the front? They whittle down your tooth to like a little nub, and then they put on a fake tooth onto the nub. I don't like the sound of that at no, all. No, I don't either. I have, I have some friends who have veneers, and that's what they have to do. Wait, is that true? They file your teeth down? Yes. It's like a little peg, and then they stick another tooth on, to, it's like the on same, top of it. It's the same thing when you get crowns. Okay. 
Okay, I gotta sit down for this. Because that's a commitment. You have to do some, yeah, some serious teeth whittling. Oh there. yeah. It's like how in the eighties, D. Snyder from Twisted Sister had his teeth filed down to points in the front because he, he thought it would make him look menacing. And really, he just looks like something. He he really just somebody looks from like, England. Like he wasn't fully formed in the womb. Um, all right. So you go in. They quote whittle your teeth down, and boy, that's a terrifying phrase. Makes me cringe. Especially like down to a little peg. And they just, and then it's like having a peg leg with their peg teeth. Um, and, and then they just reach into a bag of veneers and stick them on? I'm sure they're fitted. All right, Probably because... in a tray? And do they, do they seal to the to the, the gum line? In other words, wouldn't they get full of crap over time? I don't know. I've never got them. Uh, I, I have crowns when they whittle down teeth. Yeah, but I mean, they have to do. That's a medical and, and they're, necessity. And they're porcelain, and you get the, to pick the color if you want them bright, or somewhere in the middle, like I had mine. So they look Can you like give me the teeth. dullest crowns you possibly can? No, you can. Change Ash them. gray, please. Well, plus it doesn't really get stuck because your tooth is still attached. It's just a little nub. So like you're basically just sticking something onto it. Right, but I mean, how does it stay there? Do they have to glue it? Yeah. I mean, it's not a perfect fit. So that's my. So then my question is, does it seal to the gum line so that if you're like, I don't know, eating Jiffy Pop, it doesn't fall down inside the crown and then just or inside the uh, the veneer and then rot away inside there? That'd be no good. No. That's all. Oh, by the way, so I, this Friday, this uh, Thursday, I have to go to the dentist. I do have a uh, the first of five different appointments at the dentist that I'm going to be having this month. Good for you. Get it done. Oh, I'm getting it all done at once. Uh, I mean, I, I asked them if they could do it all in one day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, could you do everything in one day? And they said, Jesus, no. That would be awful. And they said, we need to space it out over three months. I said, no good. No, no, no. We need that all done in October. I need that done by the by the end of fiscal year 2008, please. <laughs> Mm-hmm. In today's business world, that's not a, you that know, is a very smart idea. You know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, can I just pay for it now? Can I bill it all to my insurance company today and then get it done later? Um, but, uh, yeah, so those veneers are always bad. And as you said, Lou Dobbs has got them, and everybody looks like, what is wrong with this team? So it's sort of like when somebody famous gets plastic surgery done, and you go, don't they know that's awful? So, anyway, how did this conversation start? Who has big veneers? No, I don't remember. I don't remember how we started this conversation. All right. Well, in any event, here's Tim Riley. Did you know that John McCain has a brother? No. Well, he does. And he got lots of laughs at a campaign event in Northern Virginia. But John McCain's brother is apologizing for calling Arlington and Alexandria, quote, communist country. Joe McCain, who is John's brother, who was never spoken of, made a crack before supporters at the event over the weekend. This local resident say he is not offended by being called a communist. I think it was a joke, and I'm certain John McCain does not think that Arlington and Alexander are communists. What's happening in the background there? That that wasn't a that wasn't a something backing up noise. It's not- I think it was a joke, and I'm certain John McCain does not think that Arlington and Alexander are communists. It's a communist backing up. It's not. No, I don't think it's a car backing up. That almost sounds like a. Uh... Almost sounds like the little chime when you walk into a convenience store a little bit. Yeah, that could be. Oh. This local resident is offended by the remark. That's baloney. That's bad joke. What? <laughs> All right. No, no, no. It's okay. Um, so Joe McCain is his name. Joe McCain. All right. Um, so this is like that weird, like Cindy McCain's sister that like they don't talk about or that she denies exists or something. Or the Billy Beer guy. She's Billy, Billy Carter. Cindy because she's the other sister. Um Maybe she's maybe she's Cindy McCain's twin, and as Cindy McCain's limbs fall off, she'll get her she'll get limbs from her hidden sister. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, hey, so on Mad Men last night, which was great and creepy, it was. That show is just really. I don't want to say it's a bad show because it's not. I enjoy it, but I have to tell you, the people um, 
on that show are so just unbelievably crazy and neurotic mm-hmm. that I do find it, I do find it, I won't say difficult to watch, but there are times when I watch that show and I just want to give a good solid, like, thwack in the head to so many people on there. I mean, I watch that show and it's like, you know, um, like Pete Campbell for one. Every time Pete Campbell opens his mouth and says anything, I just so desperately want Peggy to knee him right in the business. You know what I mean? Just give him a good get a kick right in the store. Just to shut him up. But, I mean, you know, so Pete Campbell is an obvious example. That mother of his is no better. Um, you know, any number of those guys around the office that are just weird and creepy, that Roger Sterling guy, you kind of long for him to get set on fire. And, of course, and I continue to find Don Draper's wife to be so unbelievably annoying. I have to tell you that she almost makes it difficult to watch parts of that show. Not because it's like... I don't know, psychologically challenging. or It's just because I think she's just such a shrill, one-note character to me. And I know, that not, I know that not everybody agrees. I know Peter Carlin doesn't agree with me. He thinks she's fascinating. To me, that character of Don Draper's wife is so... She is such a cardboard cutout of a character that I find it... She's, she's the biggest problem with that show, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm only speaking for myself here. You may like that character a lot. I, I think she reflects the boredom of a housewife during that time period. I suppose, except that, I mean, I, I find some of the other housewife characters to be a little bit more interesting. Certainly that divorced woman is is at least a little compelling. I think, you know what it is? Here's what I think it is to me. I'm certainly willing to acknowledge that as Betty, Betty Friedan discussed in her groundbreaking tome, The Feminine Mystique, that being a housewife in 1960, what, two, three? It's two now. Not, you know, all that fulfilling probably. Not a lot of options available to you. Uh, you know, sort of frowned upon if you went to get any any learning done. You know, guy, they want you to do any thinking. So you were just supposed to stay at home and make babies and look pretty. And I do understand that that can be challenging. And it was probably a kind of a smothering way to exist. I don't dispute any of that. Uh, and my wife, the woman studies minor that she is, would would uh, you know she would disown me if I tried to sort of diminish how frustrating that must have been. I think the problem though on that show specifically, and I think I've nailed it to one. One very well-defined dynamic that makes it difficult to take Betty Draper's problem seriously is that I think for the last several episodes, every time Betty Draper starts complaining about how hard her life is or bemoaning it, it's always as she is talking to her black housekeeper, who is undoubtedly working for pennies on the pennies on the dollar that Betty Draper would be making, and who is not yet protected by the Civil Rights Act. So I think there's Betty Draper, who, let's just say it, is a rich, white, spoiled housewife, sitting there complaining to her black housekeeper, who has it, like, a hundred times worse than Betty Draper would in her wildest imaginings, about, like, how difficult her rich, white, pampered suburban life is. And so it becomes that American beauty problem, where it's a bunch of people who have no real issues, and who are just sitting there complaining because money has given them the freedom to stare at their own navels forever. And I think that's why I find her to be... Such an off-putting character in many ways. And her dad looks like John McCain. That's the, but that's exactly the point I was getting to. And had a stroke. Who says we? Because are not... I knew that you were going to say this today. That's Tim, why I remember that. you remember, remember, long time ago, last segment, you said we weren't on the same wave. I know, and now we're back. That's right. Back in the New York groove is what we are. So that was exactly the point I was going to make, Tim Riley. See, and I knew you were going to make it. If we didn't detest physical contact so much, I'd go over and give you a chuck on the shoulder. Um. Oh, so just imagine right now, I'm just doing like that, right there. So that is exactly the point I was going to make. So on Mad Men last night, do you think it was an accident? That's what I was going to ask you. That Betty Draper's dad looks astonishingly like John McCain, and 
is senile from a stroke. Yes. I mean, he is a dead freaking ringer. He is the spitting image, as they say, of John McCain. And I don't think we've ever seen him before, have we? No. This is the first time we've seen him. So, you know, they're on the phone. They're like, hey, what's that? Oh, my dad, he's had a stroke. we got to go. Ba 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 Up to the Draper household. There's this guy, Betty Draper's dad, who looks exactly like John McCain. I mean, to every detail. And he's crazy because he's had, as they call it now, not just one stroke. Remember this? They said a small, steer, a small series of strokes. And he's, uh, you know, losing his uh, memory and his composure and all his uh, social decorum. I was wondering exactly the same thing. And it made you think, didn't it? I, man. If John McCain is elected. How long will it be? Before he's pawing his daughter in public. Or um, Sarah Palin. Oh, man, so this is just Sarah. I know you don't watch Mad Men, but I got to tell you the worst, the worst, best moment in that show. So we're watching Mad Men last night uh, in separate residences, far away from physical contact of any kind. And so we're watching Mad Men, and Betty Draper, who was again, she's this uh, very prim, very proper, very, um, very, you know, very Miss Manners type woman. I mean, she's very, you know, sort of tight assed. And so she's at home visiting her father because the dad has had a stroke, and they're doing that. They're doing that creepy, brittle politeness at the kitchen table where they're trying to pretend that everything is the same. They're having breakfast, right? Back on the cheek in the morning. First totally. Time. And so it's like Betty, the, you know, the daughter, and her husband, and then her mom and dad. Uh-huh. And everybody is at the table, and they're doing that, like, really, like, stiff sort of, so, uh, who wants coffee? Like, pretending. Like the Donna Reed show. Exactly. Like, trying to maintain this illusion that the dad isn't senile from a stroke, because the dad has already started to forget names. He referred to the to the daughter as being somebody else who's dead. He's like, oh, Ruth. And the mom has to go, that's not Ruth, dear. That's Betty. You remember. You know, and he's like, oh, of course. And so there's all this horrible awkwardness because the dad is clearly losing his marbles and they're trying to not acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And so it's the elephant in the room. And so so they serve everybody has breakfast and the mom is like getting ready to, you know, or the housekeeper probably is coming to tidy it up. And Betty, the daughter, says, Okay, Dad, well, um, you know, what What do you want to do next? And she's standing next to the dad. The creepiest moment I have ever seen on television. Maybe not, but, man, it seems like it. She's standing next to her dad, and the dad says, Well, uh, now that you fed me, why don't you take me upstairs? And he full-on reaches up and grabs her uh, bosom and gives it a squeeze. What? Because senile. Yeah. And she's like, What do you want to do, Dad? And he's like, Well, now that you fed me, why don't we go upstairs? <sighs> squeeze of the boob. And I, on my couch, went, wah! And I... Oh, I, that's hideous. I, I mean, even now, it makes me cringe. I pulled back from the television, and I went, wow! Like, I did not want to see that. And I mean, obviously, they're actors. They're not really related. But it is... That show is so good, and... I, I've seen that before. In, in real life? In real life. In my own family. Mm-hmm. By a senile member... So who, who asked, uh... Yes, who asked uh, someone who was, well, much younger. Is this a man asking a woman? Yes, it is. Um, and was senile and asked a much younger woman well, for some sort of favor. Wow. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. No, when, when people get old, oh. when people get old. On a scale of one to a hundred, that must be like a thousand on the awkward scale. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Wow. And, you know, here's the thing. And so I was going to say, obviously, it has happened in real life. Oh, I'm so I'm so horrified for you that you had to witness that. And I was really young when I w- Were there other people in the room? Yes, all my aunts. What was the reaction? 
It was I mean, like, whoa. Uh, let's, let's go outside. Because this person just came home from the hospital, so they're wandering around the house trying to be helpful. Jesus. Um, you know, and, and it's weird to think that, you know, sometimes you think on television, they a lot of times will say that television now relies on a lot of shock tactics like mm. violence and sex and profanity and whatever. But in a moment like that, you realize how a well-crafted moment that really has no real sexual content or, or violence of any kind can still just jab you right in the right in the soul. I remember watching that and just I did not see that coming. That was one of the worst things I've ever seen on television. But yeah, I I wondered all night. Did they? Because they filmed that show what nine months out? They must. Mm-hmm. So I wondered, did they intentionally make that guy? Did they go and say, look, we got to find a guy who looks just like John McCain, and then we're going to give him a stroke, and we're going to have him pawing this woman, thinking that uh, that they're not related. I mean, and then I had a thought inside a thought, which is this. Did they, did Matthew Weiner, who runs that show, did he actually do it sort of playing the system on itself? In other words, did he actually pick a guy who looks like John McCain and then give him a stroke because he knew that we would be here talking about it the next day and he knew that there would be controversy about it? So It's interesting. It really is. Uh, and, and, and the other terrific scene was the last one. When Don Draper's on, on the airplane and the no smoking light goes right. out, and, the old, and then they start playing... Telstar? Right. You could almost smell the smoke. Telstar. Good catch, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they're on a plane flying to L.A., and there's, you know, and the, 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 the no smoking thing goes off, and immediately everybody in the plane, <laughs> right there, blowing it right into the, uh, uh, yeah, what a, what a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, let's see. So we've got some calls about, uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. What's up? Hey, I thought I remembered somewhere in the middle of season one when Betty was trying to get through her, her mother's passing away and the father's new girlfriend. Weren't they on there, like, in the middle of the season? I remember a reference to that, that she Betty was uh, was resenting the presence of the new woman because her mom had, was di- uh, had died. Right. Uh, and that Betty was, you know, it was, you know, the typical dynamic that kids have where you don't like whoever it is that's replaced a parent. Uh, but I remember... You came did, on the TV and you walked out to get a sandwich because you hate her so much. Did we see the dad? I thought they were on there. Okay, so maybe. So so maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not supposed to be a McCain thing, or maybe it is, because even then, obviously, he was, you know, it was known that he was going to run. So, But did you have that thought last night? Did you go, by God, it's John McCain? No, I'm, I'm listening to your spoiler. I'm going to watch it tonight. Oh, well, look, I mean, here's the thing about Mad Men. The thing about Mad Men is it's not a show, like a who shot JR thing. Spoiling Mad Men is not like spoiling Lost. In oh, other definitely. words, there's no real cliffhanger to, to speak of. I mean, there's been that you know, that revelation about Don Draper and his fake identity, but you always knew something was fishy with that. In the very in the pilot episode, there's that scene where where Don Draper is asleep and his wife is looking at him and she says, she says, um, who's in there? So right. there are no real giveaways on that program. It, it's just it, that show is a it all it's all about the journey, not so much the destination. Oh, absolutely. That's why I don't mind hearing it early. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing. No matter how much I describe that awful moment where uh, the, where Betty's dad grabs her bosom thinking it's some hot girl, it's uh-huh. going to be just as awful. Even knowing it's coming, you're going to be horrified by it. <laughs> well, I, I remember listening to you. It was uh, before I saw it where they were at the dinner table uh, having dinner and the way that one guy was looking at the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. The Oh, uh, you're talking about the when Salvatore had uh, Ken yeah. Cosgrove. Ken Cosgrove from Accounts over for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. That, and who knew that guy had a wife? I mean, is that like a... Was that just it was a, like automatic wife. Was oh, that yeah. a thing that they did intentionally? Well, they must have done it intentionally where it's the layer upon layer of deception where he's in the office and then, you know, and then there are tales that, uh, you know, uh, that, that he might have uh, the gay... 
And then later, he has Ken Cosgrove from accounts over dinner, and suddenly, magically, Salvatore has a wife. So, yeah, that's, that's a fascinating that's show. It really expected. is. All right, thank you. Show. All thank right, you. thank you. You're listening to KCMD Portland, by the way. Who did Telstar? Oh, geez. I can't remember who did that song. That's a good question. All right. Uh, Craig hi. Adams would know. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick Emerson. How are you? I'm good. Oh, by the way, in that sound bite we played a while back, the beeping is from a crosswalk. That's okay. totally what it is. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So I have a repugnant polar opposite of uh, what you guys were just talking about. Is, this, uh, is this safe for the air? Yeah, it is. It All right. is. It Go is. ahead. I ran it by Richie. He gave it a stamp of approval. Yeah, oh, tell the story was done by the tornadoes. It fills me with confidence. Oh, oh, that's right, the tornadoes. All right, what is it, sir? So I got this uh, cousin that everybody's hated in the family for years. I'm sorry? You have to say where well, your phone dropped down. Oh, my, uh, we, I got a cousin that uh, nobody's liked in my, in my family for uh-huh. years. Yes. And I couldn't remember exactly why, but it, um, the other day... Um, and uh, it was this gross thing when I was a kid, probably about eight years old. My uh, my grandfather passed away, and my cousin at the time, he was uh, probably 18 to 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, told my grandmother, uh, newly widowed, that uh, if she needed a man, that uh, he was the guy. That's the worst thing. That's not uh, as bad as Tim's thing, actually, probably, but wow. Wait, so your cousin offered to be the new man for your grandmother? Yeah, yeah. What was his your cousin's, grandmother as well. What was your cousin's excuse? How old was he? I, uh, he, you know, I mean, he was in his late teens or, or maybe 20s. So he doesn't have senility as an excuse. What was his story? He was, uh, he was gross anyway. I mean, he tried to... <laughs> yes, I would say so. He tried to kill the rest of us several times, burning down tree houses and stuff while we were in them. Where is he now? <laughs> uh, no one knows. Geez, where is he? Vale, I think. Well, that's good. You keeping an, is somebody out there watching him? Somebody you guys trade off, keeping an eye on his house, make sure he doesn't get out. He's got a lot of property and uh, he tried to he tried to burn you to death and offered to have sex with your grandmother if she needed a man. Yeah, yeah. Does he get invited to a lot of gatherings? Not really. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I love this show more than anything. I really do. This is just a fantastic. Even even days like today where I was sluggish and out of it for the first fifteen minutes, and Tim and I weren't on the same wavelength for a little while. Today's uh, show is just uh, is emblematic of all that is great about this program. God yeah. bless you, sir. All right, thank you. Bye. Hey, hey, Tim, you want to weigh in? Oh no, I'm. I'm always amused by this program. <laughs> wow. I kind of want to start watching this Mad Men show. It's it's great. Did you like, um, well, I hate to use this comparison because I keep making it sound like I don't like American Beauty, and I do. There's things that frustrate me. Did, did you like that kind? Hey, let me ask you, let me put it this way. Did you like the first couple years of Six Feet Under? Yes. Then you will love Mad Men. Okay. Mad Men is... Only the first couple years. Well, that's the thing. Because you remember, like, at about season three, four, suddenly it was like every week on Six Feet Under... Oh, it was like a parody of it. A new trauma happened. I've been kidnapped. You know? I've been... I have an identical twin. I've been kidnapped by aliens. They saved the head? It's like every week on Six Feet Under, some unbelievable, you know, uh, thing would happen. Something that was uh, just so off the charts dramatic. Mad Men is very much like the first two seasons of Six Feet Under. It is just basically a character study of a group of people who are unhappy and all of whom 
are leading secret lives to some degree. Not like in a huge, mysterious way, but just in a sense that no one on that show, because it's the 60s and they're living in a very... You know, it's before the civil rights movement. It's before the sexual revolution. It's it was the age of conformity, yeah. as it's all often called. Exactly before feminism. So everybody has to conform. So it is a whole, it is a whole cast of characters who are all having to fit into a mold that is a lie strict, to some degree. Social norms. Exactly. That you are not allowed to walk outside. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, the, yeah. Everything from again Betty Draper, who as much as I criticize her character. Uh, is I do understand that that was a real thing, that housewives were trapped in that. You couldn't go get a job. It was hard. Even if you had an education, you couldn't do anything with At it. At least two children by the time you were 30. Yeah. If you went over that, it was unheard of. Yeah, and you had you were married and you had kids, or else you were weird or an old maid. or you know, If you, if you weren't married with kids, suddenly you were one of those women that likes other women or whatever. And, you know, God help you at that time if you were one of those women who liked other women because there was, you know, no place in society for you, at least in the mainstream. Or divorced. Yeah, or divorced. There's a divorced character who just by dint of being divorced is a pariah and all the other women on the street talk about her. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. I, I remember that. Being young, you weren't yeah. allowed to go near that house. Right. That woman was divorced. She had men over there that she wasn't married And to. they made that reference last night. She goes, well, you know, I think she has boyfriends. And I mean, and so she is just immediately bad news. So it is a, it's a fascinating time because it's also, it's in the early 60s, so it's in the age of conformity, but it's just a couple years before everything in American society changes. So you're watching it in the last two years before the, uh, the, uh, the Civil Rights Act, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, the Sexual Revolution, feminism, all of that. You're seeing just the last few years of a society that is just duct taped into this conformist mold. So if you like character studies... Uh, it is v- it is very compelling. And again, my complaint about Betty Draper is a minor complaint. It is if that's the worst thing I can find about that show, then it's a minor it's a minor issue. Um, you know, I will say that woman's a very good actress. I wish yeah. they gave her a little bit more to work with. But then again, as some a woman just pointed out, uh, this woman um, Jenny says, she says what infuriates you about Betty Draper is exactly the thing you're trying to convey. She's beautiful, and by most accounts. Uh, she's beautiful, and by most accounts for that time, ha- seems to have it all. We all want more for Betty, but she's bored and stuck, and therefore has no choice but to just be pretty and, right. and dull. She, she is the ultimate uh, trophy wife right. of, of an overachiever. And see, and how great is that for Ma- uh, for Don Draper in that, you know, it's no secret, I'm going to not spoil anything here, Don Draper is a serial philanderer. You know, he is a compulsive womanizer, uh, uh, an inveterate wom- womanizer, one might say. But it's so great. Because, have you noticed this? And I, this sounds like a terrible thing to say because it sounds – this is very Lucas of me. But would you agree with me on this, Tim, that January Jones, which is a great name, she plays Betty Draper, mm-hmm. is by most accounts a stunning woman. I mean, you know, conventionally speaking, she's pretty flawless. Yes. She's Don Draper's wife, and he is a compulsive womanizer. But the women he cheats with, none of the women that he uh, makes time with on the side are knockouts. They're all sort of pretty – but none of them are really stunning. Like that Rachel Menken woman, uh, the Jewish girl that runs the department store, she is, you know, sort of pretty, not a stunner. Um, that uh, that Jimmy, what's his name's wife, Bobby, you know, attractive, not a knockout. But they're all women of power, which his wife is not. That's the See, that's the thing. And so he has literally two kids and a blonde housewife in suburbia and a Cadillac. I mean, it's almost a parody, right? He's got a Cadillac, two kids, a dog, and a beautiful wife. And yet, he is unsatisfied with this house where he has it all, up to and including this trophy wife. And so, yeah, the women he cheats with, 
are all not knockouts. They're you know pretty, but they're, none of them are stunners. But as you said, they're all powerful women. So, I mean, that re- it really is just... You know, and so again, any of my complaints about the character of Betty Draper are very minor because it's a. I do understand that that was the reality to some degree. I, I do wonder at some point if the rubber is going to kind of meet the road in terms of some of the real social issues of that time, like race relations. If as those get to be, because there was a little bit of that last night, right? Yeah. Where um, uh, Kinsey, is that his name, mm-hmm. was going. He was trying to get out of going on a freedom march with his black girlfriend, and there's all this, you know, and there's some, there's a lot of whisperings about him because, you know, he's kind of a beatnik and he has a girlfriend who's black, um, or whatever, whatever the term was they might have used at that time, uh, and so he's trying to get out of going on this freedom march because you can tell he's kind of terrified. How great was that that scene, by the way, when he ends up at the end of the episode, he gets on a bus to go down south to Mississippi to register voters. And so it's him and I think one other bespectacled white guy on a bus, and everybody else is black, and he's having trying to have this conversation where he's going, and so you see, advertising is really a tool of equality. As an advertiser, I help bring the American dream to everybody. And that's what equality is all about. And you can tell, like, nobody on the bus has any idea what he's talking about, and no one cares. So, yeah, it's just a fascinating show. Uh, you know, my brother's a psychologist. I had to tell him to write an article about that, to psychoanalyze the cast of Mad Men. You know, Mad Men on the Couch. I already did that, but thank you. Or did I? You did. Yeah, I don't even know anymore. All right. Uh, are we these Mad Men calls? Oh, Tina Fey has just landed a book deal worth millions. Good for her. Mm-hmm. You know, I dig her. Five million to begin with. I mean, you know, she uh, she's somebody from SNL who has made it by dint of being truly talented. Oh, no, she deserves it. She yeah. deserves everything that she's she she's done. She's done a lot. I mean, a lot of people on that show, you know, uh, just sort of, you know, get the occasional movie or whatever because they can sort of, you know, because they can milk a character or something. She has really worked for it. She has. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. I swear to God that Don Draper is my grandfather. In what sense? Did he a lot of the same characteristics? Oh, it's almost as if they were writing my father's biography, my grandfather's autobiography. Uh, is your is your grandfather is he deceased or is he still with us? Yeah, he died in '82. So, do you, what specific traits does Don Draper have that you saw in your grandfather? Well, you know, the always be closing kind of guy, just right. just power, power, power. You know, he just go, 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 and then you know, very swave and deboner kind of guy. Constantly, you know, if his mind isn't on whatever deal he's he's doing, he's looking for the next woman to nail. Right. And the does it weird you out to think that your grandfather was like at a certain point young and attractive and dashing like Don Draper? Yeah, my grandfather was uh, uh, very, very, as his secretary used to say. Stunning gentleman. Mm-hmm. And so it's weird to look back at your grandparents and think of your, uh, you know, your your grandfather sort of out there like, like, um, um, uh, I, and I never, you know, my grandparents were, uh, you know, were kind of hideous and creepy well, or whatever. But uh, a, my grandfather was kind of a cross between Broderick Crawford and Robert De Niro. I'll see that. See that's guy. badass. That's great. Uh, Lara's grandparents were way cooler than mine. She has this a uh, picture of her grand of her grandfather where he looked for all the world like Jack Kerouac. Yeah. You know, he had like the the whatever you call it, like the vitalis or the pomade or whatever hair, sort of not in the ducktail, but like sort of slicked back. Yeah. And he had like the dungarees on, you know, and just you know just had like a sleeve rolled up and a cigarette, and you were just like, that guy is so freaking cool. My grandfather drove uh, a nineteen nineteen sixty nine Cadillac Coupe DeVille, which is the largest two door automobile ever come out of Detroit. Yeah. Had a five hundred cubic inch V eight. It was a convertible. 
and the Vitalis that he wore stained the... the uh, <laughs> of course, it over time. Yeah, and like, I used to go with him, you know, my cousin and I used to tag along with him on the road, and for some reason we always seemed to end up down there on, on Bottom Street in Winnemucca, and he'd make us sit in the car while he was making a sales call. If you've ever been to Winnemucca, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I, I don't, so you'll have to tell me. Uh, well... That's where all the bordellos are. Ah, there you go. He was. Uh... Yeah, he was making a pit stop, so to speak. He sold, he sold electrical emergency electrical power equipment. Uh huh. And he was very, very good. He he was a million dollar uh, club man. Excellent. And uh, he was constantly getting awards and and making you know how how to be the best at, you know. And then also like visiting whorehouses. Well, yeah. Fantastic. Then, of course, of course, he had another wife. In Nova Scotia. See, and it was, there was a time when it was a lot easier to do that, I think. You could yeah. be the Charles Corralt. Well, he had two sets of paperwork that we found after he passed on. Or actually, what happens, he faked his death. Uh-huh. And then left my grandmother very well set for the rest of her life. She and then just vanished and took up with some other woman? Well, no, he already had a wife. He bailed <laughs> on her, set her up for life, faked his death, and then moved to Nova Scotia. Are you Scotia. sure that Don Draper isn't your grandfather? Jesus. It could very well be. All right, thank you, sir. Oh, I had one other thing. Real quick, yes. Uh, favorite new show is uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, I know. i got to watch it. Everybody's talking about it, and I haven't seen it yet, so it's i got to watch it. All right, thank you, my friend. Um, well, you know, we've talked about I told that horrifying story about how, um, and we found this out after she died, that my grandmother, along with my grandfather, they were apparently swingers, as in to swing, because my dad found that whole shoebox of photographs, and I can't even imagine how traumatic this was, uh, my grand or my dad found that shoebox of photographs of my grandmother in flagrante delecto, as they say, uh, with uh, at least one other guy. Uh, and there's my grandfather, who was uh, presumably photographing the whole thing. So, and I was wondering growing up, why did my grandfather have a dark have a dark room? I mean, I wondered that my whole life. Well, what's the dark room for? My grandmother dies. Dad's rooting around and all of her stuff. Hey, what's this? It's a shoebox full of ha! Ah! You know, and that's why, because my grandparents were swinging and my grandfather was filming it, which is. I don't want to say it's great, but it's it's it is it's it's one of those things where you don't think of your grandparents that way. Um, here's another weird thing, and then uh, we'll get one more man call and we'll we'll, we'll move on here. Um, it's weird to think my mom is exactly the same age that Peggy from Mad Men would be. Uh, my mom is 72, and Peggy this year would be 72. So you look back at Peggy on Mad Men, who's uh, you know the sort of gal Friday who became the copywriter. It's weird to think that my mom was that age and that year. And was going through a different set of circumstances, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, was there at that moment in American history at that same age. It's weird to watch a character like Peggy and realize that she is some sort of analog for your mother, uh, you know. So, all right, let's do one more Mad Men call, then we'll uh, move on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Is it me? Yes, it is, sir. Hello. Yeah, Mad Men, I, I like the attention to the period uh, in that show. There was one episode where the Draper family was having a picnic. And after done lounging on the, the park greenery, uh, he just took off for the car, leaving her to pick up. And she just took the blanket, shook it, garbage everywhere, and walked back to the car. It is. Well, there's, I mean, in the, in the, in, I think that probably polluting and, and recycling and all that, none of that came to our attention, I think, until the 70s. And so, you know, they're just chucking those beer cans into the woods in that one episode. Is that probably how it was done? So... All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Oh, and by the way, somebody did say, Tim, do you, did you get the feeling at the end of last night's episode, he's on that plane, that he is already sort of pondering, like, can he make his next escape? Exactly. When they're in Los Angeles like that. So, um, And he has been reading some of those hippie books. 
So who knows? Maybe he ends up uh, dropping out joining a commune or something. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So let's talk more about Sarah Palin, because we haven't in the past few minutes. Uh, Sarah Palin is continuing her verbal assault on Barack Obama. Now that the Democrats know she can remember a few phrases, and she's questioning his relationship with a 60s-era radical named William Ayers. At a rally in Florida, Governor Palin asked, uh, called Ayers a former domestic terrorist and said that Illinois Senator Barack Obama had been less than truthful about his association with this so-called terrorist. His own top advisor said that they were, quote, certainly friendly. In fact, Obama held one of his first meetings of his political career in Bill Ayers' living room. And they worked together on various projects in Chicago. They're booing like they know who it is. I don't even know who it is. No. Uh, by the way, this was a bad thing for Sarah Palin in that when she spoke right there, I immediately thought of Tina Fey. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the more that people... That Tina Fey accent is dead on. I mean, she really nailed that. The more that people hear Sarah Palin and think t- Tina Fey, uh, the worse that's going to be. I mean, I already believe at this point. I mean, I, I think we said this last week. I've called it, I mean, it for Obama. And we, I think, resisted doing that because we don't, I think we don't want to jinx anything. Well, there's this huge lead in the poll which sparked all this. I had the numbers here somewhere. Did not you, that it mattered. Were you, were you still ready to, to, to call it for Obama? Or are you still not wanting to jinx it? I don't want to jinx it. Okay, so you don't want to. Yeah. You have a hunch, but you don't want to call it right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't want to put anything out there. Tim, in the news department's opinion? I don't think John McCain is a factor any longer in this, but she is for some right. reason. Well, yeah, that, so it's basically Sarah Palin versus Obama. Versus yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. That's how they should totally, if I were the GOP, that's how I would be positioning it, too. Sarah Palin versus the entire Democratic Party. That's exactly how they should do it. Really, if they want to gain traction for her, I think it's probably too late. It is too late for them. I think it's too late for the McCain campaign, but if they want to have any shot at all, and maybe they're doing this... Sort maybe of they're trying to give her some practice. Passively. Well, I told you, I think somebody's whispering 2012 in her ear, which won't happen. I maybe mean, they would take her apart. It's she, a long way away. No, and she would be shredded into little tiny Palin pieces if she tried to run on the top of the ticket. But somebody is probably telling her. I mean, I, I know. I will guarantee you. That before she went into that debate last week, somebody pulled her aside, probably several somebodies, and they said to her, they said, look, Sarah, here's the thing. McCain is toast. He's not going to win. But if you want a future as a politician, as a speaker, anything, you got to go out there and you got to you got to sew it up tonight. That's the thing. They must have told her that. They must have said, look, McCain's host. He's never going to win this. But this is your chance to burnish your own brand and have a future for yourself. Um you know, and so if you judge last week's debate, if the because we had that big discussion, who won, and then what was the criteria for winning? How do you just d- determine win? What is to win? If you judged it by, if you asked the question, you know, who did to the greatest extent what needed to be done for the ticket? That's Sarah Palin. Uh, but really, more than even that, she did what needed to be done for Sarah Palin because after last week, again, she can do you know speeches for a hundred grand a pop for the rest of her life. So they must have told her that. They must have said, look, like, you are the only chance anything has here because McCain is hosed. Um, so I will say that you're right. A, it is Sarah Palin against the entire Democratic Party, which is exactly how the GOP strategists should play that right now. They should actually, they should just flat out say it. You know, Sarah Palin against the entire machinery of the Democratic strategic, you know, arm of the party or whatever. Um, that being said, though, there's just too much ground to make up between now and Election Day. There's too much ground to make up and not enough time in which to do it. And so barring some massive gaffe on Obama's part or, God forbid, some national security incident, if that were to happen, that might help Republicans. It typically does. Barring those things, I don't see any way McCain wins. I just don't. 
and I've resisted making that prediction, but I don't see any way McCain sells this up. There's just not enough, not enough votes, not enough electoral votes specifically, and not enough time in which to try to get those that are already you know taken. I think there's close to a 50% chance that the Democrats could still blow it like they always. Do. Oh well, that's they, I mean, well that's always a given. I mean, I mean seriously, I mean. They're going to win this time by default, not because they're knowledgeable on how to campaign. Right. No, I mean, that's the thing. is, I mean, that's the corollary. You've or... got to be ruthless and dirty. They still haven't learned how to do that yet. The asterisk to all of these uh, observations is that, yes, Democrats love to lose. And Democrats, it's not like they just love to lose. Democrats love to lose once they've come within sight of the finish line. Mm-hmm. Democrats love to get over the hill and go, right there, there's the finish line. Let's go over there instead. And then they run off the side of the road. I, I mean, if you look back... Uh, I'm sorry, pardon me. Well, pardon me while I get my viso for the fridge. Certainly. This next observation has to be covered by viso. Uh, look, I'll, I'll just make the most obvious example. I mean, everybody talks about Al Gore losing the election because the Supreme Court was in, was in, this, was in the bag for, for George Bush, which they probably were. Mm-hmm. And about uh, fraudulent elections, uh, you know, being conducted, or fraudulent returns anyway in certain places, Florida, which they – and that's not even uh, – that's not even – that's beyond debate. I mean – if you can watch any number. I think PBS did one a few years ago. Which any number of objective and I would say unbiased looks at that 2000. I I actually had to quit watching one of those uh, documentaries about the 2000 election. Here's when I had to quit watching. When they actually held up a ballot. It was an overseas ballot that was undated or no no it was postdated. Uh, you know the, the whatever the postmark. It was postmarked after the deadline and unsigned and yet stamped as counted. I mean, not a conspiracy theory. They had, they showed it on the camera. Like, look, the Florida Board of Elections gave this ballot to us. Look, it's not signed, and it's postmarked after the due date, and it was still counted. At that point, I said, okay, I've seen enough. I'm going to turn this off. But so it's not that, like, the things weren't corrupt. They were. It's not like the Supreme Court wasn't in the bag for Bush. They also were. But it never should have been that close. I mean, it, the idea that it came down to Florida is retarded. Eight years of peace and prosperity. One of the most beloved presidents, whether anybody likes that or not, whether they want to admit it or not. Bill Clinton was one of the most beloved presidents of the 20th century. And eight years of prosperity, peace, I mean, the, I mean, you know, financial surplus. The idea that Al Gore wasn't able to just win with 90% of the vote under those circumstances, the Democrats ought to be ashamed of themselves. That's the thing about them loving to lose. It never should have even been a race. George Bush should never have come within – he never should have come within shouting distance of it being a race. The idea that Al Gore took that massive lead – I mean, they were handing him the White House. And that the Democrats blew it just shows, you know, the Democrats don't know how to win or don't care to win. Um, and same thing with John Kerry. Can you think of a president that was more disliked by a bigger, I mean, maybe Bill Clinton in some ways, but I mean, the, the idea that John Kerry didn't just win that with 85% of the vote is ridiculous as well. Uh, the idea that you could not defeat George W. Bush in 2004 is just, it's embarrassing. So, as I, so as you just said, Tim, I mean, I give it to, to uh, Obama right now. I don't see any way McCain can win, but Democrats do have a long history of taking a great lead and just like, Whistling it away, you know what I mean? So, I guess it remains to be seen. Here's Tim Riley. Sarah Palin says she and McCain view the U.S. differently than Obama does. I'm afraid this is someone who sees America as imperfect enough to work with a former domestic terrorist who had targeted his own country. This, ladies and gentlemen, has nothing to do with the kind of change that anyone can believe in. They have no idea what she's talking about. No, no, they don't. This is your terrorist terrorist. Barack Obama eats hot dogs. 
Cheaper trade O'Malley is a classic tax and spend liberal. So you all, just do you the all. math. Either do the math or just go with your gut. I'm sure they're really good at doing the math. Come up with the same conclusion. Barack Obama is going to raise your taxes. See, but that's the sort of like a terrorist. That's the kind of thing that uh, that resonates, though. Mm -hmm. If they just it doesn't even have it doesn't even have to be true, which I think by most estimates it is not. I think uh, I, I I do believe that again an objective assessment is that most people will not see a tax hike and will, in fact, see some reduction in taxes, even if it's a little bit. But you don't even, but it doesn't, you, all you have to do is just say it. He's going to raise your taxes. Raise your taxes. Terrorist. Raise your taxes. Terrorist. I mean, and that's, there will be a certain slice of the population that is activated by those sorts of things. Jesus. All right, it's Tim Riley. Well, here's someone who irritates everyone. Anytime he speaks, it's Fred Goldman. <sighs> yes, with OJ found guilty over the weekend, and somehow nobody cares about the story anymore. I can see why there are other things to think about. Remind me to tell you about Friday night, though, and the OJ verdict. All right. So uh, the father of the man that Simpson is accused of murdering more than a decade ago says he's thrilled. Fred Goldman spoke about Simpson's reaction to his conviction on armed robbery and kidnapping charges. In the first trial, he was found not guilty, and then it was okay. Now when it goes against him, then it's unfair. I'm sorry. This is the system, and we all have to live with it. Ron Goldman's sister, Kim, is elated that O.J. will spend the rest of his life in prison. I absolutely feel that my father and I, in our pursuit of him for the last 13 years, helped push him over the edge. I think that we're pretty <laughs> confident that we had a hand in that, and that's where he belongs. He got away with murder, and that's truly unfortunate, and it didn't stop him from thinking that he could commit other crimes, and this time he finally got caught. They drove him crazy. I have no idea that he was found guilty. Okay, so here's the thing. So, um, I paying attention. Well, let me, I got... Uh, Second. Remind me to talk to you about, let's see, I got this thing about Joe Biden and Botox, and then I got a thing about Mythbusters, which actually does have to do uh, with the election and what we were just talking about. Um, let me make a note so I don't forget to do this. Um, all right, so uh, O.J. Simpson. Well, first of all, I'll, I'll, I've made this observation several times. I'm going to give it again now that he's actually been found guilty. And I think we were talking, supposed to talk to Rupert at 115. He never... Uh, it could be the same over to this murder scene. Maybe. So uh, we'll try to check in. We'll try to get Roop later on in the day because he was, you know, he's been covering this OJ thing. Did you want me to try and reschedule him with Tyler? If we can, yeah, if we can reschedule him for like two, maybe that'd probably be better at this point. Um, but so let me just say two things. One, and I've made this point, but it does bear repeating because this is the last we're going to talk about OJ until the sentencing happens. Mm -hmm. First of all, you know, he's looking at like a minimum 15 and quite possibly forever. And he's like 62, I think, already. So even 15, that comes close to being a life sentence. Um, so... Um, as as I have noted with just uh, weirdly amused glee dozens of times, the great thing about this is that among that OJ is now going to jail for at least 15 years, probably, possibly forever, and he is doing it because of a plot to steal commemorative items, including the suit he was wearing when he was acquitted of killing Ron and Nicole. Wow. In other words, if he had never killed Ron and Nicole which he was found guilty of doing in a civil trial, if he had never killed Ronson Cole, the suit wouldn't be worth anything, which means he probably wouldn't have gone to, to this place in Vegas to get it, which means he would not now be going to jail. You know what that is? That's a little final destination on your ass, you bastard. That's, that is karma for the freaking win right there. I mean, he himself put in motion by killing Ron and Nicole, and then because he never would have had to wear the suit. Right? And the suit never would have been won anything. He never would have had to go steal it. Now he wouldn't be going to prison. So he himself made this happen by causing a situation in which he would need to wear that suit to trial. So uh, 
Way to F yourself, champ. Well done. So there's that also. So let me tell you this about the OJ thing. The great little technology communal moment. On Friday, Court and Fatboy were doing that midnight movie, which is Ghostbusters. And I, I did not go. I understand it was a sellout. Um, I didn't go. Uh, I was awake, but I was just I was so beat. You know, we were having like a frazzled. We talked about it. We were all just so beat at the end of last week. Uh, I mean, last week there was crazy in the air. Still a little bit today. Not quite as bad. But on Friday, it was sort of like, a, is, it, is it crazy where you are kind of a thing. We were all just so worn out and a little bit like I was at the beginning of today's show. We were all a little just jittery and kind of anxious and, you know, whatever. So by Friday night, I just wanted to go home. So um, I stayed up just late watching TV, laid on the couch, just ate some bad food and watched TV and did a lot of things. So I'm watching Anderson Cooper Friday night around the, I don't know, 10.45. And I get a text message from my friend Nate Baker. And Nate says, OJ verdict in will be read shortly, which is weird. I mean, it's 11 o'clock on a Friday night. That's weird. I mean, since when did they read verdicts at 11 o'clock at night? Is, do you ever remember them doing that? No. It there seems... were no clocks in Vegas. So, <laughs> that's a fair point. They had no idea. She wanted to be She had, She had. wanted to be there for the breakfast buffet, but just mistimed it. Um, so, which brings up another point. Hold on a second. I'm going to talk about all this OJ stuff now because the last time we'll get to do it until the sentencing next month. So 10.45 on Friday night, Nate sends me this text. OJ verdict in. Going to be read shortly. I text back, fix, you know. Uh, I turn on CNN, go live. It's Anderson Cooper or whatever. And, but across the bottom, because I've been watching the, the, you know, the buffer, I skip to the live TV part, and they're doing that crawl across the bottom. And it was like breaking news, even though they claim no one cares about it. It was the OJ Simpson verdict to be read shortly on CNN. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Verdict in moments. They go to the courtroom live. First of all, that county clerk is like the hottest thing on two legs. I don't know who she is. That county clerk who read the verdicts, and if you saw her, and I'm looking at you, Randy, in Vegas, uh, you know what I'm talking about. That county clerk Friday night who read the O.J. Simpson verdicts, uh, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a woman that God took some extra time on. She was, uh, she was put together well. So they hand the verdicts to the judge. And the judge is doing that infuriating thing where the judge sits and slowly reads them all herself. And you know that in the judge's head, she's going, that's right. That's what I'm talking about, you dick. Yeah. So the judge reads all the verdict. That's my interpretation, by the way. She hands them to this white-hot county clerk who's wearing a sweater that was several sizes too small. The county clerk stands up, and I am, and I, and I had texted Bobby, fat boy, uh, who was at the midnight movie. And I sent him a text. I'm like, OJ Verdict's being read now. Like, I will let you know. Because they're getting ready to go on stage to announce Ghostbusters. And she's and she reads all of them like Schnooky LaRue, whoever his sidekick is. And what a, what a, you know what OJ's sidekick looks like? One of those guys who says things like, use, use guys go in there, and then use guys go around back. That's what his sidekick looked like. Some guy who'd be named like Knuckles or something. And so she reads the verdicts for OJ's sidekick. And then she gets to... And this all sounded, it gave me the weirdest case of deja vu, because she said, in the above-entitled action, we the people find Orenthal James Simpson, and even now it starts to give me a flashback, because that's such a, that's such a soundbite burned into our brain. She says, in the crime of armed robbery, we find the def uh, defendant o Orenthal James Simpson guilty, and I immediately, and I, I thought he was going to walk, like that Dennis Miller promo, I thought he was going to skate. And as soon as she said guilty, I knew he'd be guilty on everything. As soon as they said guilty on armed robbery... I was like, it is on. Like this, like the great settling head. Like the, the great, uh, the great payback is underway. And she went through every charge, and she was just like, on you know, kidnapping, guilty, 
you know, whatever, guilty, breaking and entering, guilty. And I sat there, and I could not believe it. I mean, even though we all knew he was guilty, we all knew he was guilty of everything, every time, I could not believe it. And so I immediately sent a text to Bobby, to Aaron Duran, and I think to Chris Paddock, uh, because I wanted to make sure they could announce it before the midnight movie. And I was like, OJ guilty, all counts, it's on, you know? And... The, I got 15 text messages back there like, no effing way. That is so We're going to go announce it now. And so I guess moments before they started to roll the Ghostbusters midnight movie, I guess Bobby ran up to the front of the theater. And he was like, before we start, he's like, this just in, OJ guilty on all counts. And from what I heard, I guess the crowd reaction was like through the roof. I mean, they said it was the biggest crowd pop they have ever heard. Uh, I mean, it was it was it was a weird moment, like me seeing on CNN, relaying it via text. They shouted to the audience, and then I got texts from people who were in the audience. Like, in the audience, just heard the news, righteous. So, I mean, it's pretty astounding. And here's the fun fact, Sarah. You don't know this because you were sort of oblivious to the OJ thing. Here's the, here's the great final little piece of this. OJ guilty, all counts, at least 15 years, and they're saying maybe life. Wait for it. Exactly 13 years to the day he walked in L.A. Exactly. To the day. 13 years to the day he was acquitted in Los Angeles. So there you go. I mean, that's a little bit of a, the universe working itself out. So deeply satisfying. Enjoy that, bastard. So, uh, all right. Um, and so forth. All right, should we take a break? Let's do it. If you want to. Uh, do you have more OJ sound? No. All right, well, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll do more news on the other side. Coming up later, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Uh, let's see. Pair of Henry Rollins ticket. we're gonna, tickets. We're going to do the uh, 60 Seconds contest coming up later. Richie Bristol counts down his top five teenage moping songs. Don't forget, Carl Click will do that here in the studio on Wednesday. Uh, we'll try to get uh, last week's high concept topic done today. And, oh, did I tell the story about all the porn on Friday? We would no. remember that one. No, All right. Remind me to do that as well. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Here's Cinderella. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Don't forget, later on, we'll give you a shot at the tickets to see Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins, an evening of spoken... An evening. An evening of spoken word. Monday, October 13th at the Newmark Theater. To celebrate the end of the Bush era, Henry's hitting the road with a brand new election time talking tour. Tickets available at Ticketmaster.com. Ticketmaster.com. Henry Rollins, Monday, October 13th at the Newmark Theater. Uh, we're going to give you a chance to win a pair of those later on today. And uh, if you've never seen Henry Rollins' spoken word, it is it is quite something. It is, um, it, it, it's impressive and just, it's impressive and sort of maddening all at once, especially if you're somebody like me, because, you know, there's four hours here, but it's like, it's not really me. It's basically, it's basically Tim and Sarah and, 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 and me sort of, you know, like all chiming in together for four hours doing whatever. You go see Rollins, like three and a half hours, him on stage, a microphone, uh, you know, and a bottle of water and a stool that he never sits on. I mean, that's it. He just walks out on stage with a microphone, one spotlight, one bottle of water, and talks for three and a half hours. And it's clearly not scripted. I mean, he's just got a lot of stuff to say. So I go, it makes me feel like a poser. I mean, I see that guy and I just feel like an absolute child. So, uh, anyway, but he's hilarious and, uh, you know, and, and sort of confrontational and provocative and funny and, you know, all of that. So if you've not seen Henry Rollins do his spoken word, really, you have my, my personal assurance. It's quite a night. So uh, tickets are available right now. 
at Ticketmaster.com uh, for Henry Rollins, Monday, October 13th at the Newmark. Uh, we're going to try to give away a pair of those later on today. Um, we got more calls coming up. Tim Riley uh, in just one second. Jim Roop coming up later on. Richie Bristol doing his top five teenage mope songs. Carl Click's going to be in, I think, on Wednesday to do that. This email says, Rick, you should let a listener do a top five teenage mope list. Well, uh, it is it is almost as though I have already set that up. Go to myspace.com slash Rick Emerson and the most recent blog entry. Uh, actually, it's all about this. What you do is you just post your top five, five and an honorable mention, and then later on the week we'll pick one listener to come in and do their list on the air. So you go to myspace.com slash Rick Emerson, go to the most recent blog entry, post your top five, and then one person will come in and count it down later in the week. This is Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So it turned out, it's not as bad as originally thought, the Dow Jones ended up trading the day 300 points lower after plunging nearly 800 points earlier today. So it was bad, but not that bad. Meanwhile, former Lehman CEO Richard Fald was testifying before the House Oversight Committee today. He said he was punched in the face at the Lehman Brothers gym after it was announced the the firm was going bankrupt. Really? Yes. Budged by some guy? Yeah, some guy. He was on a treadmill with a heart monitor on. Somebody was in the corner pumping iron. He walked over and knocked him out cold. Fantastic. So, I mean, that's the least you should get. I'm, I'm not saying that. <laughs> that's Tim Riley who said that, by the way. Oh, incidentally, uh, one of the greatest moments from that Mythbusters thing yesterday, uh, which was just, again, just staggeringly wonderful and inspiring and, you know, and hilarious and informative and all of that. They're, they were showing some of the uh, footage that, that, that didn't make it on a Discovery or things they haven't shown yet. And they apparently they did a whole episode, I don't think it's aired, a whole, about drunk myths, about how, uh, myths for sobering up. So they're but like they're trying they're testing does coffee sober you up does someone slapping you sober you up does whatever and there's two great things one is they had uh, Jamie slap Adam as hard as he could and they filmed it with an ultra high speed camera so they can play it back really slowly and so the whole face does the as the hand hits him. Well, Rick, I learned from my OLCC class that the only thing that sobers you up is time. I need like a wonder grow on sounder. Like, How about a good robust cup of coffee? No, I think they. Well, I haven't seen it, but they, I think that butt gets busted too. But they're doing this great thing early on where they're trying to test how drunk Adam Savage is, and so they have him doing tasks. And they have him, I swear to God, running on a treadmill while while drunk. And so, and again, they're filling it, filming it up with a really high speed camera, which means they can play it back very slow, but it still is, you know, very clear to watch. And so there's him running drunkenly on a on this treadmill. And then he starts to fall, and i got to tell you, as funny as it is when a guy falls, it's even funnier when it's on a treadmill, and it's like three times as funny when he's falling drunk in slow motion on a treadmill because he does that, and then slowly off the treadmill, but doesn't fall on the floor, falls like on his front on the treadmill itself, which then shoots him off the back. But then he is actually so drunk, he gets back up and tries to get on the treadmill again, and then immediately his feet go up from underneath him, and he is full-on airborne. He is in the air for what just seems like an eternity. And as he's in the air, drunkenly being thrown off the treadmill, he's reaching for the kill switch, desperately trying to turn it off, and it doesn't work. And then he just, bam, just hits the ground again. So unbelievably funny. So, um, Jesus. I, I, those guys are just, they're, they're just as hilarious in person as, as you would think they would be. Here's Tim Riley. So Henry Waxman, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, 
challenged the CEO of Lehman over his executive compensation since the year 2000. So you've been able to pocket close to half a million dollars. And my question to you is a lot of people ask, is that fair for the CEO of a company that's now bankrupt to have made that kind of money? It's just unimaginable to so many people. I would say to you the 500 number is not accurate. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. closer to 498. I would yeah. say so, yeah, give or take. So what's Miley Cyrus up to? She celebrated her Sweet 16 in style over the weekend with a whole entourage of friends, family, and fans partying at California's Anaheim Disneyland. I guess it's kind of, you know, respect the people that are here and screaming on you and just excited to be here with you because, I mean, these are the most amazing people in the world that are here celebrating with me tonight. Have you guys ever seen Hannah Montana? No. No. I saw it because I only get a By accident. Yeah, I saw it by accident this weekend. Holy God, that's a terrible show. Is she pregnant? No, but her dad's in it, and he, like, Billy Ray Cyrus is hands down the worst actor I've ever seen. Really? That is ever. saying something. Ever. It, it's it's amazing, astounding how bad he is. And, and not like in a, you sure it's not the character, it's just that he's a no, bad actor? And he's like, well, gee, Miley, I, like, just like <laughs> these one-liners that he has, and the the delivery, and the way it's, it's just... And then the laugh track comes on? Yeah. Do you suppose this is one of those things where it's the reverse of how it usually happens? It's where uh, the kid had to demand that the parent get a part? Look, I'm not going to act if you don't give my dad a job. You, uh, he's got nothing else going. I'm going to, I'm going to level with you. He's a loser. He has nothing else going for him. You have to employ my father if you want me to show up to the set every day. That wouldn't surprise me. That sort of thing does happen. Um, I had some point I was going to make about Billy Ray Cyrus, Hannah Montana, something. Where did I put that Joe Biden Botox story? Here's Tim Riley. I'll find it. I have a story about Joe Biden allegedly having Botox. I'll, I'll dig it up. Here's Tim Riley. A Florida woman had to drop her toddler 40 feet into a crowd oh, of fairgoers. Hold on. Toddler. Oh, for the... That's all me. Toddler. I barely knew her. Yeah, I gave that one up. <laughs> this woman get, gets uh, trapped in a carnival ride. Sherry Pinkerton and her daughter were exiting a Ferris wheel type ride called the Crazy Bus. <laughs> I think I used to ride that. When the ride suddenly started... Now, the woman's leg became caught inside the ride. Witnesses like Mark Crisley says uh, the woman was holding on for dear life with one hand and clutching her baby with the other as the pair dangled outside the ride 35 feet in the air. Long time to get a ladder, long time to respond. But after she was pulled up, then the fire trucks came and the ambulances and everybody came. But 10 minutes was the ambulance. was there a long time. Who is that? A carnival goer. Okay. All right. So this crowd gathers outside and says, drop that child, drop that child. So she did. And the crowd uh, caught the baby when the mother let go moments later. The group then reportedly got a ladder and rescued the mother. Neither she nor the toddler were seriously injured. Excellent. The carnival ride has been shut down, and those wanting to ride the crazy bus cannot do so. All aboard the crazy bus, Tim. Uh, all right. Oh, by the way, somebody has pointed this out. This is Vince, who was at the Mythbusters thing. says, don't forget, during Adam's whole drunken run, stagger, and repeated fall on the treadmill. And by the way, the, the best part is how he drunkenly gets back on. And then as he is in midair falling again, is scrabbling for the kill switch and can't find it. At no point does Jamie move to help him. The whole time, J- Jamie Hyneman is just standing there going, with his, you know, with his beret and, like, looking inscrutable, going, mm-hmm. Just watching him fall. So it was just, it was so deeply hilarious to watch. Uh, I got this story. This is from the New York Post, so, you know, for what it's worth. It says, has Joe Biden had some work done? Top Manhattan plastic surgery thing. So after comparing shots from Thursday night's debate with earlier photos, says, I would bet my next paycheck that he had a lateral brow and eyelid lift. 
which would explain... Yeah, didn't somebody r- remark on his eyebrows? Well, he has weirdly like, pointing eyebrows well, on Well, he obviously had Botox, you can tell, because his forehead never moves. And when he raises his eyebrows, the sides wrinkle, but right. this stays completely smooth. Totally. Uh, and this is... Um, Let's see. He also said that he uh, had come to the debate prepared with Botox injections. This is the doctor saying this, by the way. says he definitely had Botox in the forehead region. Uh, and, of course, Biden's people uh, you know, dispute that. But that was, you know, that was one of the things. People forget this now. Before the switch voting you know, thing, that was one of the, the big accusations of John Kerry, is that he'd have Botox. That was one of the first things that Drudge. And it's so great to see that Drudge is always Drudge. Because Drudge just pounded that John Kerry Botox theory. And, of course, where did I get this? From Drudge, who's made it like a huge thing on his, you know, on his front page today. So, uh, you know, you got to let Drudge be Drudge, I suppose. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley. Pornography addiction is on the rise nationwide. Excellent. Addiction has more than tripled. How do they find this stuff out? I don't know. That's a lie. They're mm-hmm. making that up. Uh, pornography expert Aaron Kinney says... I want to be a pornography expert. I mean, you know, to be paid for it. There probably aren't any job openings right now because Aaron... There are no openings in that field? That's correct. <laughs> he says easy access to pornography is the problem. What has no, no, no. happened the solution, the years is that increasingly the use of pornography online has grown to the point where many people are now recognizing um, that this can actually be a, an addiction to online pornography where people spend uh, a lot of time um, consumed in the activity of viewing pornography online. He really sounds like a man who, does, who understands passion and sexuality, doesn't he? Yes. Uh, and so forth. Well, this is a good time to talk. tell this porn story I have, then. All right. Let's um, hear it. It's almost as though you planned it that way, Tim. It's almost like we're on the same wavelength. We today. are all, all of a sudden. Uh, so on, so this last weekend, so uh, my wife went to a bachelorette party um, and uh, for our good friend Diana. And so, you know, part of, you know, they're supposed to bring, like, wacky adult gifts or whatever. So Like a whoopee cushion. Exactly like that, Tim, but shaped like a like a penis. Uh, so, but you know, she's like, so I gotta, you know, get some adult gifts. So, where do we get those adult gifts from? Anyone know? In a fantasy? No, the big box of porn in my office. Oh, the taboo, yeah. taboo adult video. One of our fine sponsors. So, here's the thing. I don't mean disrespect to taboo. They're a great client, advertiser. We've worked with them a lot. They do a lot of stuff for us. But they just give us more porn and and more sex toys than we could ever. You, I mean, I'd have to clone myself. And be way more interesting than I am. So it mean, just bags and bags. And do you remember when we were at the coin tower and we each had like a huge like Halloween bag of like porn and sex toys that at one point we like you didn't want to take it on the max, Tim. And like Sarah. Oh, don't you have a ton of it in storage? Well, that's the thing is we. No, because I have. Yeah, because I, I still have another bag. bag at home in my office. I mean, well, and we have that, and they, they, every one of the roasters at the last listener party got a big crate, which Lisa Desjardins didn't take home. She would, because how would you even do that? How would you check a huge box of dildos? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Uh, so, anyway, the long, the long and the short of it is, Richie does his best to use, use up all of that stuff. But the the fine folks at Taboo are very generous, and they just give us more porn and sex stuff than we can possibly use in a thousand lifetimes. So it's all kind of sitting in my office. It just sort of just piles up, you know, and, and you know, whatever. Um, what was my point? So, um, so uh, Lars like, hey, you know, I need some kind of adult gag gifts uh, for this for this bachelor party. I'm like, hey, sister, I got you covered. I uh, <laughs> I got all I got all all that you need. So out of the office, I'm just like going through stuff and, you know, like three bags and a plastic tub full of adult, like porn or adult toys in my office. Three big bags, one plastic tub 
Um, and by the way, I should note that uh, having gone through it, some of it, which I'm pretty sure was sealed at one point, is now open. So if like oh, you look like at how we had a bunch of it down here and now it's mysteriously gone. Yeah. So if you see, you know, see somebody looks suspiciously uh, you know, like his pocket is bulging with something or he seems suspiciously spry. I don't know. Richie's walking around with his pants undone. By the way, did I tell you that Richie's had his zipper was down and he was adjusting did you see his belt was off? Well, like his I, belt was hanging off of him. No, I didn't see that. No, I don't know what's going on there. Well, I caught Richie in the hallway just now, and I said, uh, he was adjusting his zipper, and I said, what's up with you? And he goes, oh, my zipper keeps falling down. And I said, I said, well, you know, it seems like zippers, you know, are not very complicated. They should stay up. And he giggles. He does that crusty, the clown laugh just this is like five minutes ago. And he goes, I said, your zipper should just stay up. And he goes, oh, well, I used it a lot. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. Let's all think about what it might mean right now, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to ponder. What that might mean. I'm looking for my popcorn sounder. So there you go. So I tell Laura, I'm like, I got you covered. I got all this stuff for the bachelor. I'll find you some stuff for the bachelor party. So here on Friday, I have the three sacks and the, the big box open in my office. And this is maybe, at, I don't know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. And I'm just like, really what you just said. three sacks and a big box. Uh, and uh, that's what I said. And so and I'm just like going through all this stuff. And it's like bottles and pills and looby things and the DVDs and like things shaped like large male members and all of this. And I'm spreading it all over the floor of my office trying to get a good cross section, right? Like you can't just be three vibrators. Like you got to get like one vibrator, maybe a movie. Maybe like a corkscrew shaped like a, the male organ, which is one of the things I gave them, by the way, like a wine opener. Um, and so I've got all of this porn and like smut spread out of my office. And Les Moonves walks down the No, hallway. no, it wasn't Les Moonves, but I hear this voice going, hello? And I, and, and I look up and it's the, the janitor, the janitor and his, uh, you know, his, his assistant, and they're like, and I swear to God, I don't know if the guy was winding me up or if he was whatever. He says... Is this a bad time to take out your trash? <laughs> and I said, and what am I? I mean, I was just like, it was so totally pwned. I was just like, uh, no, come on in. And I just, I didn't even make him, I just didn't even make him come into the office. I just got the, the trash and handed him the trash thing because, Jesus. Anyway, but apparently the gifts were a big hit. Uh, so there you go. They'd be good things to hand out for trick or treat once you run out of candy. No, that would be a terrible idea. If then. it was an adult's coming to your door. Yes. So let's take a break. When we come back, there is one more aspect uh, to this porn story that leads to a question I have for the audience, and it is safe for the air. But this bachelorette party prompted a question that I need the audience to answer. It is not really sexual in nature, but it does. It is a thing that I don't know the answer to, although I feel like I should. So we'll take a break. We'll come back. Jim Roop. We will play the 60 seconds contest for uh, Henry Rollins tickets. Tim, you'll have more news later. I have tons of news. Excellent. Uh, hectares of news from Tim Riley. We'll do the top five songs that Richie Bristol moped to as a younger man. Later on, Like Us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7. This is Twisted Sister. Stay there. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, still kind of cleaning up on emails from this weekend. This one came from Sarah. Uh, Sarah emailed me Saturday. She says, subject line, drunk, period. I like it when people put periods where they don't need to be, you know? One word, drunk, period. 
Sarah, uh, this is a listener, Sarah, says, we'll call her Sarah A., says, thought I'd let you know I have a big unexplained bruise on my body due to the debate drinking game. Haven't done a d- debate drinking game, or haven't done a drinking game in years. You've reminded me why. Keep up the good work, Sarah. <laughs> By the way, did you notice in that Sarah Palin sketch on SNL that they mentioned, did you watch it? No, I didn't watch it. The, the, it's pretty good, actually. She's good. The guy who does Biden is okay. Uh, there's really, as, you know, as we always tell people, and we'll get Jim Roop in just one second, there's so much more to work with. You know, with Sarah Palin, which is why we make the most fun of her. It has nothing to do with partisanship, although she's clearly nutty. Um, it's just that she's funnier than Joe Biden. There's just more to work with. But she actually says at the end of the sketch, I forget the word she uses, but she says, and for everybody at home playing the drinking game, Maverick. And then she does like the, 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 the drinking gesture, which is kind of, and then they did a Lawrence Welk sketch later on. It's like they're reading my mind. Uh, five seconds away from Jim Roop, let me say this. We had Andy, the homeschool kid, on Friday, and which is a great show, not unlike today's program, which having gotten past that initial bad 20 minutes at the front where I was uh, still asleep because I took caffeine way, way too late in the morning, is one of those programs we could talk for another seven hours today. It would all be gold. Sadly, we can't do that because uh, you know, we only got another 50 minutes here. But We could just create genius nonstop. We could probably just stay in the studio and you know, create genius for okay, another day. <laughs> but let me say, Andy, the homeschool kid was here. Those cinnamon rolls he brought in, Jesus God, those are the best I'm sorry, Mom. Those are some of the best cinnamon rolls I have ever had in my life. Never bring them again. They were, I mean, they were unreal. They were so good, it just defies, I mean. It, they were vegan, too. Oh, they were, that's the other thing. Any, no offense, some 16-year-old kid, 17-year-old boy making, you know, vegan cinnamon rolls who'd think they'd be good. So, because that's woman's work. But they were fantastic. So, thank you, Andy. Let's welcome that to the from Los Angeles, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. What in the hell is a vegan cinnamon roll? It's uh, no no dairy uh, or animal products. No butter, no milk, whatever. Because Tim Riley is a vegan, uh, and uh, partially for health reasons. Yeah, that explains a lot. Yeah. So so this kid, Andy, the homeschool kid, he is, a, you might guess, a, a listener of ours, a teenage boy who was homeschooled, and so listens to us a lot. God help him. He came in to do a top five countdown with us, and he, he wants to be a baker, so he brought these cinnamon rolls. And I thought, oh, that's good. You know, that's, that's, that's you know, how sweet of you. You know, whatever. And, you know, I'll have one later. And you know, you don't really have one to be polite. I got off the air, because I can't really eat when I'm on the air. Got off the air, went to the kitchen, cut myself a cinnamon roll. It was it was unbelievable. It was just uh, it, it's so good that you kind of went, I can never have more of these. Uh, because you could just see yourself becoming like a big fat ass. And so instead, not if it's healthy. No, and so I and so I did this thing of like, oh no, they're full of sugar. They're full of sugar. So I did the thing of getting rid of temptation. I immediately went down the hall and I found some DJs. I'm like, hey, free food in the kitchen, and like within 30 seconds, <laughs> gone. You DJs know? and sales guys. Totally, like vultures on carrion. So uh, we'll uh, on hold. I see somebody who wants to talk about the OJ County clerk. We'll talk about it here in a second. Um, our good friend Orenthal James Simpson. Um, uh, you know, go figure that one. Okay, well, let's, first of all, a couple things. I kind of recapped the story earlier. I was at home Friday night watching CNN, and because uh, I'm kind of lame, no offense, as uh, watching Anderson Cooper. And then they, you know, they break in with the whole like OJ verdict any moment now. Since when do they do a verdict at 11 o'clock on a Friday night? Uh, I, I think in a situation when they have a verdict, uh, they're going to get to it right away. Uh, especially if the jury's going to stay there. If it was, if if the if they said a partial verdict. 
And when they say verdict, that means they have made a, de- a decision on each and every count. It wasn't a partial verdict or, or a hung jury or anything like that. They probably would have waited till the next day. Right. But because they had a verdict and because the jury worked all day so they didn't have to come in on Saturday and they wouldn't have to go back on Monday, uh, the judge said, okay, let's announce this verdict. It's only fair to the jury and it's only right. fair to, to the defendant. Well, I remember there was a lot of that discussion in the OJ trial the 96 OJ trial, uh, 95, 95 OJ trial, because they came to a verdict that night, and then he sat in jail all night waiting for the verdict when he had been acquitted. And there was a whole discussion of was it right to keep him in jail another night if they already knew he was innocent right? or acquitted anyway. Um, so anyway, so I, I, I'm watching CNN. They announced the verdict, and first of all, they, they announced it for that weaselly sidekick of his. Uh, you know, like Knuckles McGee or whatever his name was. C.J. Stewart. Yeah, it was just that guy. He was obviously a cretin, too. And, you know, and I was like, okay, well, maybe there's a split thing where they convict the one guy and they let O.J. walk. Because it still just seemed inconceivable to me that they could convict him. And then as soon as they, whatever the first verdict was, it was armed robbery or whatever, as soon as she said, you know, Orenthal James Simpson, guilty, oh, I yeah. knew. I was like, it is on. Like, th- this this is the great sweep right here You're you're about to see. And I immediately sent text messages like five different friends. We had a, our sister station was doing a remote at that time, a midnight movie. And I sent them text messages. I'm like, you have to, like this, Justin, OJ guilty, all counts. And they announced it at their remote to the crowd. And I guess the crowd lost their minds. I guess really? just, yeah. I mean, it was, it's weird, man. So, did, you know, I said that before, you know, is, 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 when this thing started, is, is that how it goes down, Capone? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it's it's amazing to me that they got him on this. And first-degree kidnapping is the same kind of sentence as second-degree murder. Yep. So it's I can't wait till sentencing to see exactly what she hands out. Well, they're saying it could be, I mean, if she even splits the difference, if she goes down the middle, it's like minimum 15. Well, it could be only five. He's eligible for parole in five. But right. Yeah, it, it is a minimum of 15 years if he, could, if he serves them concurrently. Um, if it's consecutively, then that's probably 10 years before he's eligible again. Right. But, you know, it could be he could be in prison for as little as five years. But still, you know, he'll be 76, 77 years old. Right, right. And who knows what kind of aging will happen while he's in prison. Well, and you got to wonder what kind of a time O.J. Simpson's going to have in, in, in the slam, you know? He's going to be by himself. Oh, really? Is that the... Uh... I don't think they're going to put him in the general population. I no think way. everybody should have to go in the general population. So do I, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I guess oh, not. yeah, I'd say dump him right in the water with the rest of the fish. Yeah, I mean, you know what? You know, don't rob, don't rob, don't steal crap. Yeah, you know, hey. Seriously. So you know, we're going to make conditions now. We're going to help you out. You're yeah, the, you're the yeah. one who screwed up. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I do sincerely think that the prison system should be overhauled so that it is rehabilitative in some way. And I truly, and I'm not being sarcastic, I really do believe prison ought to be made safer so that if a guy really is in there trying to get it straight and turn his life around, he's on his first strike or whatever, he has a chance. He's not going to get shanked. That being said... It's not about that I want to see O.J. put in a dangerous situation. It's like, you know, if some other guy who doesn't have money and fame gets thrown in there, you know, in a snake pit, then O.J. ought not to be exempted from that. I agree. You know, so. If you are convicted of a crime, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right. Well, did you, uh, let me ask you this, before this happened, if you had had to put money down, would you have said acquittal or partial acquittal? I would have said partial acquittal. I I didn't think they had him on everything. I I was a little nervous about the kidnapping, the first-degree kidnapping. I mean, because the first-degree kidnapping was there were weapons involved. And I I don't know, from what what I saw and what I've heard, I didn't see, I saw reasonable doubt in the mind of the jurors. Right. Right. But apparently, and because the jury said we didn't even listen to the witnesses, we couldn't trust any of that testimony. We went right. To, we went right to documentation, emails, 
recording, uh, video surveillance. Right, right. His voice was loud and clear. Nobody leaves this room. And, you know, because of the size of the room and shoulder to shoulder with the guy with the gun, there's no way he didn't see the gun. And that is kidnapping. That's first-degree kidnapping in the state of Nevada. Mm. If you lure someone some, somewhere under false pretenses, and in this instance, uh, those guys were lured to that hotel room right. under, the, under the pretense that they were going to sell some memorabilia, then you bar barge in there and you prevent them from leaving, that's kidnapping. You don't have to bound them to anything or sneak them away or anything like that. It's the, in the state of Nevada, it's beautiful. I did, and which is strange. It's it's strange to me there are laws at all in Nevada. You know, you go there and it's like <laughs> you would think there's nothing holding anybody back, but then they have laws. It's very strange. Well, it's interesting. I actually, um, hey, maybe this is why I did this, Sarah, subliminally. We played that casino speech this morning at the beginning of the show, uh -huh. and I still don't know why I joined the casino speech with the Arrested Development Hot Cop speech, but at the beginning of the, uh, let me see if I can play this here. This is what... It has to be an OJ thing then, right? Well, I know that's, maybe that's subconsciously why I played it. I still don't know why I mashed the casino thing with the Arrested Development thing, but every day we start our show with a little a movie speech, and this is the one I played today. You can hear this. At that time, Vegas was a place where millions of suckers flew in every year on their own nickel and left behind about a billion dollars. But at night, you couldn't see the desert that surrounds Las Vegas. But it's in the desert where lots of the town's problems are solved. And it has that whole thing about, you know, Joe Pesci. And then you got to make a few more holes. Yeah. So, but, uh... It's it, and he's in jail. I mean, he doesn't even get sentenced till December, right? No, it was wild because uh, you know both lawyers right away are asking for time. To right. let, you know, let them stay out to get their affairs in order. Oh no! <laughs> did you uh, denied? Do you see that? I think it was Fred Goldman's like a, his daughter, maybe. Who yeah, was, yeah. She, she was making some statement about like we like to think we drove him to this. Where she actually she flat out says that she likes to think that the Goldman's pursuit of O.J. all these years actually drove him crazy to the point that he snapped and did this. Well, it may be. I mean, because he just he can't shake these people. Right. As much as he thinks he's getting away with stuff, not give him his his stuff and all right. that stuff. I mean, he had to move it around and and be you know and hide it here, hide yeah. it there. He's got to hide his assets. He's got to do all this stuff. He's got to look over his shoulder constantly. You know, he can barely enjoy the municipal golf course that would allow him to play. <laughs> you know, so it's like. Man, he he has been in, a, in some sort of prison anyway uh, for the past 13 years, but I, I think maybe so. I think maybe he, you know, in the way he looked at the jury, just kind of nodded. It's like, okay, you got me. Well, I will give you this joke to steal. So, you know, now that he is undoubtedly going to prison for some period of time, this will give him, uh, you know, an easier first-hand opportunity to hunt for real killers. <laughs> That's right. And I'm out! If they give him Internet access. Yeah. All right, my friend. As always, enjoy your day, and we will talk to you very soon, Jim Roop. Thank you so much, right, sir. There you go. James Roop in Los Angeles. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, uh, whoever this might be. Hello there. Um, this is Marlon from the Coop. Hello, Marlon. What's up? I was just wondering how the, the county clerk kind of kept her composure when she was reading out the verdict to uh, O.J. Simpson. And I was sitting there, and you know, we now uh, announced the Arthur James Simpson. Giggity. Guilty. Giggity, giggity. I did wonder the same thing. It's well, two different things. Because first, they hand it to the judge, and the judge sits there and reads every single page of it. You know, and yeah. and you go, and then you get really like if you're me because I'm uh, insane. You sit on the couch and you get really mental. Like, oh, come on, she already knows. Tell us, come on. You know, and so the judge she's is sitting there, with you at that point. and she's totally, she's like keeping her composure. And well, she's, I'm surprised she didn't snicker too. I know she must have. She should have totally done like a little yes. Uh, and then she hands it to the clerk. Same thing. The clerk is busy reading it and. You remember, even in the criminal trial, 
uh, you know, the, the, the foreperson of the jury stammered a little bit. She said, we the uh, blah, 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 or until James Simpson, and she stuttered a little because she was a little nervous. But that clerk, man, reading the, the guilty on all counts to O.J. Simpson, who is one of the more notorious figures alive in America at this point. And you're exactly. right, she kept her composure. By the way, you were talking about you wondering how she kept her composure, and speaking of giggity, it should be noted, I kept wondering how she could remain upright since she is so disproportionately top-heavy, that uh, county clerk, that uh, court clerk. I mean, really, it, I think she must have had, like, mooring struts like the Hindenburg to keep her from tipping forward, and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, all right, thank you, sir. Yep, thank you, Professor. Right. Thank you, my friend. All right. 503. What did I do without the uh, without Family Guy? I know. I can't Sarah? believe you lived, you lived so long without Family Guy. I, I have you to thank for, uh, you know, adding to my vocabulary. Uh, let's see. What are we doing here? Um, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, this hey. is Greg. What's up? I was calling to make a guest for the uh, mystery sound. Oh, this is for the new mystery sound that not even I know the source of or cause of or whatever it is I say, ending with a preposition. Hold on. Where did it go? And now Sarah knows the thing. That, Sarah knows what is making this noise. Sarah knows the mystery sound. Yep, I, I do I have not. It right here. Play it one more time. Sir, what do you believe the mystery sound to be? I believe that that is the sound you hear when the Marvel Studios logo is shown at the beginning of a Marvel film. Sarah? No. You couldn't be more wrong, I think. No, it's not that far. That's an interesting guess. I'm just, but I've, I've told you before, and I'll say it again, like, this thing in here isn't something that you see all the time. Like, it isn't something that you're, like... You know, the spinner from the it's a way. physical object. It's an object. It is a physical object, sir. We will give oh, you that. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye now. So, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, did you, did you want to know what it was? No. No, no, no. I like, because I can't, I'm a, I'm, I have a terrible poker voice or whatever. You know, I can't, it's hard for me to pretend I don't know something or to keep a secret uh, if I do know something. I'm I'm very bad at that. Uh, all right, it's two. Oh man, it's two twenty-five already. Jesus. Yeah, and we have to go to Richie's top five. And we got to do that contest. All right, so I'll tell you what. Um. Yeah, well, I'm going to give the call to action here. So I'll tell you what, we'll take caller number five right now, and you'll be playing for a pair of tickets to see Henry Rollins' Spoken Word. Uh, Henry Rollins, an evening of Spoken Word, Monday, October 13th at the Newmark Theater. To celebrate the end of the Bush era, Henry Rollins hitting the road with a brand-new election time talking tour. Tickets available at Ticketmaster.com. So we're going to take uh, caller five right now, 503-733-2970, On the other side, you'll talk for 60 seconds about something you presumably know nothing about, you can do it. You win the Rollins tickets. Uh, news from Tim Riley and Richie Bristol's top five teenage moping songs. Stay there. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Don't forget, tomorrow our guest will include Henry Rollins, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, on that note, we're going to try to give away a pair of tickets to see Henry Rollins live. Uh, he's going to be uh, at the Newmark Theater next Monday, the 13th. Uh, tickets available at Ticketmaster.com. All right, we're taking caller five here. Uh, hello, caller five. How are you today? I'm so great. All right. Are you really great? Well, yeah. Is that I'm your... I'm living the dream. Is that Every how... Day. 
You know, is there, by the way, is there any sure giveaway, no offense, that someone is not living the dream than when they say they're living the dream? That is a statement that is only ever used, ironically. Well, I'm, I am, I'm the exception. Okay, what is the dream that you were living, sir? Well, I don't have to have a real job. I, uh, I don't have a, a wife, and um, I get to sleep in as late as I want every day of the week. Are you independently wealthy? No, but I work for myself. Oh, well, okay. Well, there you go. All right, sir. So here's the deal. Uh, in honor of the vice presidential debates and the empty brain of Sarah Palin, we are going to have a 60 seconds contest. So what this is, we're going to give you a topic, and because, and I, not to play into gender roles, uh, but because you're a man, we'll have Sarah pick a topic for you. You must speak on it for 60 seconds. Now, keep in mind, you don't actually have to know what you're talking about, and it doesn't have to be factual, but you must speak, you must speak relatively uh, convincingly, and you may not stop. Uh, and I think... And is this like the Michael Mara show where I can't say the word um? No. Well, I, oh, I, I think they've actually done... I think they do a no um uh, rule where, like, yeah, you have to talk and you can't say um. But if you're being Sarah Palin, she always is like, ah, and you betcha. I will say this. You must... How, how, I know this is a little vague. You must maintain forward momentum, though. Can we, can we all agree on that? Mm -hmm. That you must not stop and just sort of flail around. That'll be solely judged by us. And I'm supposed to do it in a Sarah Palin accent? No, no, no. Just as oh. yourself. But you've got to talk for one solid minute about something that you might not know anything about, and you've got to try to make it sound as though, you know, you are, uh, you are knowledgeable. Fantastic. All right, Sarah, what is the topic? I would like to hear him discuss getting a manicure. All right. In, uh, in three seconds, we will begin. Discuss getting a manicure in three, two, one. Okay. The reason that I love manicures so much and I love the experience of getting manicures is because I have this cuticle issue where I get these tiny little hangnails and it seems like every time that I try to take care of them myself, I end up bleeding and you get that little bleeding on the side of your fingers and it hurts and, and it's very annoying. So I have this place where I like to go to and it's run by a bunch of women who are of Asian descent and what I do is I show up and uh, they have 70s music playing over the... Uh, intercom where I get my manicures done and last time I was there they played Starland vocal band and um, that song was uh, Skyrockets in Flight, Afternoon Delight and I, I remember thinking to myself this is really the ultimate way for me to pamper myself. As a guy I don't get the pampering that I need uh, quite often enough so that's why I love to get a manicure. Also they can give neutral colors so I don't actually go out of there with like red fingernail polish. There you I... go. One minute, sir. Well done, my friend. Good Congratulations. Job. That was so much harder All right, than it sounded. Sir. All right. You are going to see, and see, now mm. I wish I could do the no uh, no um thing, but I don't want to look like I'm stealing from Donna Mike, so I won't do that. But you, uh, and there's you... only like one um. Hey, I was going to say, you didn't really need it. Your forward momentum was maintained. Sir, you're going to see Henry Rollins' spoken word. Have you ever seen Henry do his uh, spoken word before? I never have, but I'm a huge fan of him you are, ever since the Black Flag days. You are really, really in for a treat. Uh, his spoken word is it made an impact on me early on, and he remains. I saw him do it uh, just about six months ago, and it's quite exceptional. So uh, I'm put you on hold. Richie's going to get you information. Thank you, sir. Can't wait. Thank you. All right, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. And now, now. from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So now the Federal Reserve will provide as much as $900 billion in cash loans to squeeze banks in an urgent effort today to break the dangerous credit clog that threatens the economy and has unhinged financial markets around the globe. Now, a week ago, if we mentioned $900 billion, well, people wonder, 
Who's paying it? Now nobody seems to care. So now we're throwing an extra $900 billion at banks. Wait, so is this an extra... I guess so. Is this... Wait a minute. Has the figure gone from 7 to 9, or is this an additional... This is an additional... 9 well, on top yeah. of the 7? Well, the additional 700 kind of went to 850 after they, they put in all those pork projects. So this is totally separate from that. Wait a minute. How much total money are we talking oh about? Oh, my gosh. Everything all together? Yeah. I don't know. In other words, this isn't the seven increase to nine. This is the seven, which was then eight fifty. Yeah. Plus nine. That's what it says here. That can't pot. That's that's nine hundred billion. Nine hundred billion. Well, no, but you're saying plus eight hundred. So you're saying that is seventeen hundred billion dollars. This is from the Federal Reserve. This is cash loans to squeeze banks. Seventeen hundred billion dollars. That doesn't even sound like a real number. Well, of course not. I mean, we just throw money around. This is pretty crazy. Willy nilly is what we do, Tim. So, and notice they put this story late in the afternoon. In the news cycle. News cycle's already over on the East Coast. Hear that, Lou Dobbs? <laughs> Your big-ass teeth. All right. Stalin's cartoonist has died. Boris Yafimov was 109 years old. He was despised by Hitler, beloved by Stalin, drew more than 70,000 drawings, remembers the last of the czars, had his work edited by Stalin... Can you imagine that? Now, when you say he was car or Stalin's cartoonist, I'm assuming he wasn't drawing, like, state fair things of Stalin on, like, a little scooter. No, 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 when Stalin ordered something, he drew it. Were these political cartoons? Yes. Political propaganda cartoons. Political propaganda. That's pretty cool. Now, apparently, he was put under tension. The worst came in 1940 for political reasons when Stalin ordered the execution of this guy's brother and then asked for a cartoon to be drawn about it <laughs> as a lesson. We so, can laugh now because it's uh, history. Mr. Yapimov told Stalin it was a great idea. The cartoonist did not know whether to rush or finish it quickly or take more time to show how important he considered the project. Wow. He proceeded methodically until Stalin called him at 3.30 the next afternoon and said he wanted the cartoon by 6. Wow. So Stalin li liquidates or whatever, kills the guy's brother, and then says, by the way, uh, Boris, I'll need a cart. What is his name? Uh, his name is Boris. Boris, I'll need a uh, cartoon about that. A lesson. Cartoon about how I killed your brother. That's a great idea, Comrade Stalin. Mm -hmm. Let me go work on that right now. <laughs> Wow, that's got to be a high-pressure gig. Couldn't have been too high-pressure. He he lived to be 109 years old. But I wonder if he lived out of spite. Like, once Stalin was dead, I wonder if he's like, screw it, Stalin is dead, I will live as long as possible. He voted for Putin. <laughs> Jesus. Stalin's cartoonist. Wait, you know, that's the thing that, you know, you never really consider that, but now, but when you think on it, mm -hmm. you go, well, of course, that makes sense. Of course, Stalin would have a political propagandist who simply did political cartoons, because political cartoons for centuries have been a huge part of propaganda. You Actually, I would say maybe at some times and in some cultures, political cartoons are the most important form of propaganda because you're dealing with a populace sometimes that doesn't necessarily read or have a great degree of literacy. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Toward the end of his life, uh, Mr. Yapomon said he hated Stalin for killing his brother, but was part of the Soviet Union's success and glad he propagandized about them. I wonder if he got work cartooning later and if he if he put any of those Stalin things were in his, in his portfolio. <laughs> or <if> he, <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Vlachmanov, uh, have you done anything before? Do you have an artist portfolio? Well, I, uh, I did some work for one guy. Who? No one important. <laughs> and that's just a bunch of cartoons about families being, you know, being shot against a wall somewhere. No, no, no. You can see this one's funny because uh, I'm trying to think of how that cartoon could be funny. No, I guess it couldn't. So I'm just fascinated by it. All right. And he's dead. The idea of political cartoons about Stalin killing people is sort of amusing, though. Like, how would you make that funny, do you suppose? Mm-hmm. 
Do you put one of the guys in a funny hat or something? No, no, no. You can you can see this one family uh, that's being shoved into a pit to be buried alive. No, no, no. Look at this. No, no, no. The kid's got his shoes on the wrong feet. A hood with a smiley face drawn on <laughs> I was like, oh, do they do it sort of highlights style? Now, look. Here are two seemingly identical pictures of man starving in gulag. Can you find 15 differences between picture the one and picture number the two? Holding two bags with dollar signs on them? <laughs> totally. They love to do that. <laughs> Here is man being re-educated in Dacha. Can you find 15 ways in which picture is wrong? Man have too much food in cupboard. All of man's bones unbroken. Must share saltine with collective. Well, you're going there soon. You'll see it firsthand. Oh, it's a different what? Russia now. Gulag? Oh, to Russia. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did say something I don't know? No. Uh, when are you going to Russia? Uh, maybe next year. We're thinking about putting it off, though. Not because of... When Isn't I say, Laura going to the Congo soon or she, something? The, uh, she's going to Peru. She's going, okay. to, the, uh, we're gonna, going to the Amazon uh, it, next month. But and if, when I say the economy, it, when I really because the trip was already going to be expensive, and it's... It's not because like our stocks went down or anything, but it's like the trip to Russia was already going to be really expensive, and you got to figure it's going to be twice that now. Like the world economy is such that the trip is going to be double what we would have paid, and it was already really. I mean, it was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, Very which well spent which we had sort of budgeted for in advance. But now it's going to be probably we're going to you know look at it twice that. So screw that. I'm now gonna you're going to have to board two dogs. No, I'm going to Graceland instead. All right, uh, shall we do the top five? Oh, yes. Richie Bristol, can you join us in the studio, please? Five, four, three, two, one. I wonder if it's Pimp Who? His, his oh, Richie. Yeah. yeah. His belt is broken and his zipper apparently won't stay up. Richie, your pants are falling to your knees. You look like one of those rap singers. But it's so much worse than that. I mean, I understand that some of the youth, uh, they they enjoy having their pants to sag. But you're you're not doing like a, a sort of fashion thing with pants. Your pants are just falling down. Yeah, I put the little thing in the wrong hole. I'm sorry? See the thing? It ripped the hole. You put the little thing in the wrong hole and it ripped. Well, I started out, a, I was fat. Look, I lost That's four a, belt sizes. You're... I lost four belt sizes, and then I put it in the last one. The, the last end of one. your belt just tore off? Oops. Oh, your pants are falling. Dude, they're to your knees. Literally, his pants are falling to the floor. Nobody wants to That's see that. That's a strong belt. What does it say about... Uh, never mind. Uh, how did it break? So were you trying to, like, breathe <coughs> button or buckle your pants? It's probably made it was moving down one more buttonhole. Were you trying to make the belt go tighter than it's supposed to? No, it wasn't holding my pants up. That seems like a badly made belt. Well, it's a dicky. Well, okay. See, look at it. It's thick. It's I wasn't going to use the brand name, Richie, because I'm sure that, uh, you know, they make fine products. Things, so. I'm just saying it seems like that might be more about the way you were using the belt. seems like you might have been trying to cinch that up one too many. Maybe you're you between... can't let it strain too much, Richie. Maybe you're between <laughs> belt sizes. <laughs> I shouldn't have breathed out. All right. Uh, late... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Richie Bristol presents his... And by the way, we're going to do this today. I think tomorrow we'll do something totally different. Wednesday, we're going to do Carl Click's Top 5 Moping Songs. Go to uh, my uh, space page, myspace.com slash Rick Emerson. Post your personal teenage moping top five. Toward the end of the week, we'll pick one listener to come in and do their list on the air. Then we're done. Done. Done forever. Uh, so uh, this is Richie Bristol's, though. Tim Riley? Audible mention Nancy Sinatra. These boots were made for walking. You moped to Nancy Sinatra? No, well, when I was younger, I didn't really mope much. I would actually 
Like, do you understand this list? Yeah, but I didn't moat much. And then I, uh, you'll see. Is this a pretend list? No, no, actually, I listen to this, and then I'd go with her sister or their best friend or something. Go get revenge. I don't, I don't understand. So some girl break your heart, and so you go and sleep with her sister for so revenge? After listening to Nancy Sinatra. Well, that's unreasonable. Yeah. He's, never mind. Never mind. I had eight track and I did some. What kind of mess up girls are you dating whose sisters would sleep, you know, like that's what they have sex with you and their sister would too? That's a good question. Younger days. Where do you find these girls? Younger days. Uh, tigers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it was tigers. I like you didn't even hesitate. That's the ring of truth right there. Jesus. All right, Richie Bristol's top five moping songs. Number five, Keith Sweat. I'll give all my love to you. Do you know the song? Uh, I'm sure that somewhere Sarah Wagner is nodding her head. This one, this one actually, I was tied up with. Uh, I was supposed to get married a few times. I actually broke off. I was like engaged maybe four different chicks. Who initiated the engagement? Uh, half the time them. Most of the time them actually. I was the one that broke it off. I'd go run off with my friends and never come back. Like we shopped for houses and stuff. And we were supposed to sign papers for the house. Three they just wouldn't appear. I didn't come back the next day to sign the papers. I'm sure your real estate agent appreciated that. I didn't propose that. We just, we, I don't know how it worked out, but we were shopping for houses. We're going to move in and get married and all this stuff. You don't know how it worked out. You have to make an appointment <laughs> to do that. It's not like you can drop in. It's not a McDonald's. I know. It was serious. Did you stand a, more than one girl up for looking at a house? Uh, Not the same situation, but three of the four girls Michael's that I could have married, were, their names started with T. Three of the four. Let me understand. Hold, hold, hold. So, the funny thing is, Sarah's all angry at you on behalf of women because you would get engaged to women and want to look at houses, then vanish and never show up again. Tim is angry on behalf of realtors <laughs> because you're like, I'm going to come look at this house. Then the realtor's there waiting for a client who will never appear. Well, we looked at the houses. We looked at like five different houses, pick one. We were going to do our application and everything. I realtor already counting that money. She didn't like my best friend, and I was going out the night before, and she says, you know you never make it back in time. Blah, 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 blah. We fought, and I said, I'm going with my friends. But I didn't come back. Ever? Ever. <laughs> I never showed up. I said, remember, uh, was so it Harlem like, Night? did you actually propose to somebody? Or did you guys just We had me? a ring. We were talking kids. We were talking... What happened to the ring? Uh, she still has it, or she sold it. I don't know. Oh, you shouldn't have let her. Yeah. I know, but I ran. <laughs> no, no, no. You always give him a fake ring. And then, you know, but you have, like, the real ring, and then you have a fake one made. So you give her the fake ring, and then after you've actually proposed, then you got to tell you you got to get it cleaned. You take the fake ring, and then you bring back the real one. Oh. Well, I don't think it'll be happening anytime soon. All right. Number four. Wait, how does Keep Sweat even... Whatever. All right. Richie Bristol's alleged <laughs> moping top five. Number four. Phil Collins, Against All Odds. See, but it doesn't sound like you did any actual moping. It sounds like you're just a, kind of a dick. <laughs> no, I was. Till I was like, till I was 18 or 19, I didn't really mope. I would go for revenge. <laughs> so, how did you arrive at this list? Uh, well, the first one I started, I was started thinking about the songs that were, you know, tied to certain girls. Yes. That I was moping over kind of later in life. Early in life, you know, until you're 20-something, you don't really care and you don't think about, oh, I missed out on getting married. And now that I'm 30-something and single going, who understands this explanation? I don't, I don't either. 
Do you? No. No, okay. <laughs> Basically, this is the song that we're tied up and when I moped later in life going, Dang, up. you know what? I missed that up? chick. Maybe I should have married her. Wait, let me understand. <laughs> so even when you mope now, it's only two songs from like 1984? <laughs> <laughs> no, these are the songs that were tied up. So you, in other words, girls. when you mope now, you want it to be retrospectively time appropriate. <laughs> if I had moped, what would it have been to? And then you like consult the Billboard Ten charts. Ten years ago. No, these songs so you are like... you were depressed about girls. You just went and nailed their sisters. When I didn't get to nail them, maybe I was depressed about it. So you weren't... You, so you never actually were moping over having your heart broken. It's just because some girl wouldn't put out for you. Yeah, most likely. Do you have, <laughs> do you have a soul, yes, Richie? Yes, just a long time ago. I, I mope now. You're you much get all better. Your I, I'm a moper now. Feel, not to buy the house. <laughs> do you feel human emotion? Uh, not before. <laughs> I do now. I, I do, uh, too much now, but you feel too much now. Is this when the Clear Channel girl is showing you her ass in a production room? Yeah, I just that just makes me mope up. <laughs> All right, like well, let's just move on. Richie Bristol's top five moping songs. Number three, Air Supply. I'm all out of love. Yeah. Which has clearly never been a state for you. Well, when I was real, this is before I was a teenager, though. You were all really, out of sex. You know, remember really. when you first time you like slow dance and you were at these little, you were in sixth grade or something yes. like that? And if you were left at the end without somebody to dance, this is the song that reminded me of. You would you stand there. this for all the lonely sixth graders who didn't have anyone to dance with? But it's not really yours. So it's no, not for you. It's all my life. Had been. If I would mope, if I would have actually so had, had, had to mope about. ever, if you'd ever been alone at a dance, this, this would have been, been the song. Yeah, but it brings back moping songs before I was a teenager. This is a moping song. I mean, this is like your head is like one big Escher painting, man. I can't figure out what we're talking about here. So you, this is sad. Did you ever sit in your room and like and pine after somebody? As a teenager. No, I would. I'd go through the soccer team. <laughs> but how do you? How did you convince all these people? Like, did this really happen? Like, yeah. you, you're telling me that you would always just convince all these random girls to have sex with you all the time. I don't think he lies about oh, that. Yeah. I, I know yeah. he doesn't lie, oh, but I'm yeah. like, it's just, it's nuts. How do you do that? You have you ever how thought about running one of those seminars? One of those tame the. Tame the blank seminars like in Magnolia. You no, totally. Late. I gotta fix myself up for that. But no, but that's no. the whole point. Is like looking. No offense. Looking like you do. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, no, yeah, be you honest. look like me. You no. can do it. No. Look, I mean, let's go, look. None of us here are bodybuilders, right? It's like you're not some six foot tall Adonis from a Charles Atlas ad. No, but when so I was you're not, you're, not an, you're not an unattractive man. But I saw your picture of you with the rock and the mullet when you were. Yeah, so that mean, wasn't uh, You know, it's not like you got the. You're not like the ripped out guy with like the the you know the great car, especially as a teenager, and yet somehow. You you get all these girls and their sisters to put out. Well, I think people I was be... actually a wrestler, and I was 4% body fat. I worked out all the time. I had ripples and everything. Ripples. Would my... Is that what they're called? <laughs> ripples right a, here. A pond has ripples. I'd go to a party, start jumping up and down on the bed with my shirt off, and I'd have two girls. Where did you grow up? <laughs> Hillsboro. <laughs> did you grow up in the Playboy like Mansion? Like a mating ritual? Like you go to a party, take off your shirt, and yes. jump on a bed? And it would work. And you had Believe ripples. Me. Yes, I had ripples. This was a long time ago, mm. first, when I was 16 to about 18. Right. Take a vote right now. Do we want to continue this top five? Absolutely. All right. Number two. Lionel Richie, Stuck on You. This is a great song. See this next song. I know. If only you'd ever had cause to use it. I think I did. I think I did. You think you did? I think I did. I don't remember much from 16 to 19. don't make any. 16 to 19, mostly I ran around. Have you ever been sad? Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't After think I, convince us, I don't think I believe you. But so you weren't sad until the age of twenty. <laughs> this no, is like, I was getting lucky all the time. Why would I be sad? This is like Tim's thing of how he's uh, how he's never shaved or never cut himself shaving ever. She was never sad. <laughs> I had one girlfriend through high school, four years of high school. Wait a minute, you had one, one girlfriend, girlfriend as you're like banging the soccer team. Yeah. Did well, you did you sleep with that girl's sister or best friend or both? Friends, I'm sure. You don't really remember Tell the blur. How are you, how are you having I remember twins. <laughs> I remember. Rocking out with your rippled body. Wait a minute. You right. had sex with twins in high school? Yeah. Wait, I snuck together? into... Identical. I snuck in. She had me go sneak in. And I, identical twins? Yeah. I snuck into their house and... Well, she told me to come over and sneak in. I used to sneak in. And I guess they switched. <laughs> how do you know? Because she was yelling, my sister's in the other room, after I already jumped in. Wait a minute, I... Okay, I'm going to make a note, because we got to... This is a whole separate story for tomorrow. No, I already moved our commercial break. We're, right. we're going to go with this. Wait a minute, so... Wait, so you're dating one twin, you sneak in, and they have switched? Well, she was, for some reason, in her sister's bed, and she was... In laying... other words, was this a plot to get you to have sex with the other I girl? don't know, but... I mean, she said, I'm going to leave Didn't the Didn't the girl ask, who are you and why are you on top of me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> not till later. <laughs> Wait, well, then they had to have planned it. I guess. I don't know. I had to run. I guess. Because his, I don't know. He's on top of me. I guess I got to just let it happen. I, uh... I hid under the bed. The dog was barking. I snuck in, but she left the back porch. Oh, we, you, know, you know when you're younger? The Lionel Richie in the background of this story makes the whole thing so surreal. <laughs> stuck on you. So, it's a great song. Wait, so you go in. I you get in into the bed with, with one of the girls. I go upstairs, and I'm laying on the bed and stuff, and then all of a sudden the dart starts barking, and then she wakes up, and she's like, um, my sister's in the other room, but the dog's barking, and then I hear her dad yelling, there's somebody in the house, because the porch was open. Yes. And so I hide under the bed, and he's running around the the, 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 the house. Right. He hears my friend's truck that's around the corner going. It's You can hear an engine. Right. He's what's that? So he goes out the door. So I'm thinking I'm going to sneak back out. I go across the hallway. I look down the stairway. There's his mom with a book in her hand, sitting in a chair. She just yells my name. And next thing you know, she's Okay, wait, wait, wait. Back up for a second. I, I'm still unclear about you getting with the sister. Did you get with the other sister? Later in life. Okay. I can't even get a handle on this. Sarah, help me. I can't either. So the, so the other sister's... So you chose the wrong room, or the other sister snuck into her sister's bed? She didn't... Yeah, I think so. I, I It was all blurry. I ran the car. I mean, I was hiding in the field. And I'm going to ask you some life. simple questions here. <laughs> Let me... We're going to have some simple <laughs> narrowing questions. Okay. Did you, at one time or another, have relations with both sisters? Not at the same time. No, I, I understand. Okay. But... Yes. Separately, okay. I dated one of them for a very long time, okay. and then later I dated the other. Okay, one, like now so this later. was, in other words, but this was intentional, and uh, they didn't pull some great switcheroo thing on you. No, but that was the beginning of the end of the first sister. All right, I, I understood it for just a second, and now I don't. All right, what the beginning of the end of the first sister? Yeah, when I got chased by her mom, his her mom and her dad. And Let's back up for a second. She, the dad was going to call the cops okay. for breaking and entering and all this other. What celebrity did the sisters most resemble? Ooh. Because I went to school with identical twins, so I'm just slotting them in. So in my head, the twins in your story are these two hot uh, identical twins from Texas that I went to school with. Oh, no. What, what do they look like? Sarah Wagner. 
That is okay. I wish you hadn't said that. Really? Why would you say that? Why would you say that even if it's true? Oh, Sarah. Even if it's true, why would you say that? Oh, I wish you'd given any answer to that. Now I'm picturing two Sarah Wagners. That's what I'm saying. And you know, Sarah is picturing two. Sarah Wagner is picturing two Sarah Wagners. I mean, she's driving up the road at this moment. I wish you had responded with anything else. And I know she's listening because she just emailed me about Keith Sweat. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, have fun with that awkward conversation someday. <laughs> All right. Richie Bristol's number one moping song. Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. This is a lie. I mean, this is totally a lie. I this was just going to say the same thing. High school dances. I remember this song. From... This is a tissue of deception is what this, this is top five is. It's a great song. It's the number one song. Yeah. Oh. All right. Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. Great achievement in the history of the world. Back at four, five, six, and seven. <laughs> Not for the other way through like us. Are we just going to the top? Yeah. All right. This is a lie, Richie. This is when it's like you're trying to, to mock human emotion. <laughs> you're taking the song in vain. No, I'm not. I remember being sad, like if I didn't have somebody to dance with me at high school dance. But you already said that didn't happen. <laughs> and you said that you were sleeping with people, but then you had a four-year girlfriend, and and then you were having I went sex to like five proms, five or six proms. I went to like a bunch of proms that weren't even my own. In your estimation, well, I didn't think that you had five proms. I didn't go to my own prom. In your estimation, the number of women you have been with is that at triple digits? That's more than a hundred. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You see, there you're kind of lying. I, I saw, I saw you kind of look away. Now that was a lie, right now, when you say you don't know. Okay. If you I had to guess, if you averaged. Six a year, and you lost your virginity at sixteen. By the time you're thirty-one, you say, is that's it fifteen years? That's... Is it fair to say you average six a year? Up till about thirty, and then it tapered off or went up? Down. Really? Oh yeah. How many do you average a year now? Maybe one every two years. That's not. No, true. That's not true. You just just been doing good lately. <laughs> Like leave here the last eight it was, years. It was just like a, like a couple months ago, you were like took yeah, home like fifteen different sex toys, and we're getting it all with some listener. Yeah, that's one. But that wasn't the only one in a year, I would imagine. No. Chicks do seem to to dig you for whatever reason. Your pants <laughs> are falling down again. Oh my god. <laughs> so how many how many this year so far? Richie? I'm experiencing this year. Yeah. One, two. Okay, that's that's three, not averaging one every two years. Do you understand four? what it means? You know what an average <laughs> is. Okay, three at the dunes, two at... You saw the three people at that dunes weekend? One this weekend. Oh, um... Yeah, three at the dunes. That's not an average of one every two years. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. I said the last year has been a great year. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> He's Richie Bristol, ladies and gentlemen. Now I'm only falling apart. There's nothing I can do. Don't sing. Don't sully this song with your lies. All right. We want to thank Cena Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Jim Roop, Dick Juliano. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include Nina Parker from TMZ.com and Henry Rollins. Plus another pair of Henry Rollins tickets tomorrow because it's October all month long. Rick Emerson show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM 970. The talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley on the phones. Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in. Webmistress Bridget from upstairs. And uh, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan, don't f with me, Reynolds. Thanks again to everybody who came out to MythBusters yesterday. Like us next, Michael Mara show at seven. See you all tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. Bye now.